Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Matt, we've got some news to deliver to the audience. It's big news. We're going to give them a choice. They get to decide whether we live or die. Yep. And we've brought back Doof Media's favorite, uh, fan favorite intern, Eric, to explain everything in more detail. Eric? Uh, actually, Matt... Eric, uh, Eric couldn't make it. Oh, busy. Yeah. Something about scenario. I, I wasn't really paying oh, attention. He mentioned her. Yeah. Like seven times. Oh, so the whole big choice that we're asking our audience about. Let's just skip it. Oh, okay. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of goodbyes that aren't goodbyes. The triumphant return of Eric and alien based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial this week. It really is starting to feel like last is coming to a close as we tackle, tackle chapters 20.10 and 20.b. In the final moments before the sound plague takes control, Victoria visits some old friends and then returns to the OG Misfit Toys headquarters to await her slumber. Then we jump to Presley struggling to survive at the end of the world. Through her, we see the full scope of the plan. Humanity must choose to wake up the parahumans before death or choose to let them die. Presley, ward of parahumanity, argues her case. And it works. Our heroes win the day and go to wake up the slumbering capes. Matt, what'd you think about these two chapters? I mean, I, I mean, are you, are you seriously asking? Because, I mean, I loved them. Well, I, I mean, mean, like, that's I, just the thing I say at the end of every, like, little mini summary at the top of I the know. episode. I know. But, like, but, like, they're particularly shockingly great this week, of course. I mean, <laughs> I feel like this is uh, perhaps the emotional climax of the story. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like it's the climax climax of the story. I feel like it may be the climax climax of the story. Yes, I, I think from here on it's probably denouement or at least that's how it feels. So mm-hmm. I think it lands exceedingly well. You know, yet again, I feel lucky that we get to cover these two, these two in particular back to back because they yeah, really pair yeah. well together. Um, we've got a chapter of goodbyes and then a chapter of the consequences of Victoria's choices throughout the story culminating in a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really wonderful. Um, uh, the 20.b in particular, like the way it pays off, and we're going to talk about, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but the way in which it pays off, the way in which that reveal lands, I think just, it, just it, this, the emotional bang of it, where you see kind of all the various threads of this very, very long story kind of start to weave into each other. Um, to form a picture for the first time. And you you can get a good view of that picture. And and I have relative confidence about what that picture looks like now. And uh, it was just so very satisfying, so very narratively satisfying for me. So um, yep. on top of it, just working on me emotionally, just like from a lover of story, seeing that stuff come together uh, was great. It was great. I agree. I can't wait to talk about them. All right. For that, uh, one quick announcement. Uh, the March Marches Madness 2020 championship round is underway so is it you want to tell us about it scott 
Um, we have our two finalists in the match right now. It is between Victoria Dallin and Lisa Dan Tattletale. That's what we're down to. So those are the two people playing for the winners. We're going to pick our choice for the championship at the end of the show and also talk about your comments on the final four round because we got some really fun comments on those two matchups, too. Um, it was surprising results in the final four, I think. Um, but uh, it's it's been it's been a fun month and a half doing this whole thing. And we're here near the end. So um, we'll do that at the end of the show like normal. That's all we got for announcements, though, right? Cool. Yeah, I think so. All right. All right, let's move on into chapter 20.10. And this, like I said a minute ago, is a chapter of goodbyes. Regardless of whether we see these characters again, this th- these these goodbyes hit equally hard. Um, the mood is somber as Victoria tells herself that it was better to make sure that the Seamer didn't win, but still, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the opening couple paragraphs, like it does in, in both of these chapters and, and a lot of this arc in general, just goes a very far way to set the mood of the chapter and what i love about this one is the text describes them as being in the middle of a war zone there are bullet holes everywhere rubble blood dismantle tinker tech strewn all over the place they're in a war zone they're in the middle of a battlefield and there's no more fighting to do right like they're they're in the middle of this wrecked bloody battlefield but all the cape fighting all the super powered fighting is over there's nothing left to punch there's nothing left for victoria to punch anymore all that is left is words all that is left is argument all that is left is trust and hope and um i i just love that 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 basic contrast we set up right at the beginning of the chapter right here i really like it yeah i like that idea a lot especially i mean i i I like that that's what we're doing with this story right it doesn't end with a big climactic punch the bad guy moment. I think that the closest thing we got to that was them hammering on the Seamurg enough that, that they were finally able to defeat her, but that's not the ultimate win. The ultimate win is what happens in the next chapter. Right. Yeah. So uh, Victoria watches as dragon defiant and Chevalier, who she describes as the dragon in two nights <laughs> um, are apparently beginning to do their part in spreading the death music. Yeah, and I, I love this quote here at that point. It says, I was okay with that. It was a role capes played, a handsome costume, a pretty mask, and a person with presence and personal power. It helped cut through the bullshit sometimes. A double-edged sword, obviously, when people like Scribe had used it for the wrong cause or interests. But it also had let Legend and Stonewall nudge things further along, faster. I, I really love this moment because, like, once again, we're talking about capes and we're talking about in this in this post battle world in which punching the problem doesn't do anything. Capes are more than just what their powers are. Capes are symbolic. They represent things both uh, amongst themselves and to humanity at large. Um, they represent things and Dragon and Defiant and Chevalier all agreeing to this plan is more than just, oh, people did this. It's their their symbols, their representative of the the most beloved or the most highly looked at members of this symbolic group of superheroes deciding to do this thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a cool idea um i i, I also cottoned on to that uh that particular quote i thought that was very victoria you know yeah yeah um, it's just going down to the many like we're we're at the end of this book and we're kind of circling back around to the central question of what is a cape what is a hero what is a ward kind of thing mm-hmm. um and i like that how she's thinking about these things yeah yeah exactly i mean these are, it's the kind of thing that she would think obviously yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so Rain, Sveta, and Victoria consider how to move forward with trying to spread the effect around. Victoria admits that she hoped that people would just start lining up, which I think is probably the single most Victoria thing in the book. <laughs> it, it most exemplifies who she is as, as a character, this idea that somebody offers you a chance to sacrifice your life for the greater good. And she's like, why aren't they lining up? Yeah, yeah they should be eager. It's like yeah. a ride at Disney World. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, it's so perfect. Why would she? Or why would she ever think that's gonna happen? I, I, it's it's wonderful. I love you, Victoria. Two million words later, I sure do love you. It, I, I think it's particularly interesting because it it speaks to her sort of capeism that we've talked about, where she is genuinely surprised that the capes don't uh, uh, volunteer themselves for self sacrifice, and yet she seems to expect that the humans are going to leave the capes hanging out to dry. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like she she's she she's uh, unrealistically believing the best of the other capes and unfairly believing the worst of the humans. Is, yeah. Am, am I am I wrong? I mean, you know, it's I, I'm, I'm I think you have to read between the lines to get the idea that Victoria doesn't think the humans are going to go for it. But um, I think that yeah. it seems clear to me, at least. I, I, I don't think that's wrong. I do think it's a little more complicated than just she doesn't think the humans are going to do it. It's I think she needs to she needs to hold on to the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. She needs to acknowledge that. I, th- I think she wants to believe that the humans will not let her down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think par- part of her has a lot of doubts about that and she's still working through those. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that I think she has generally more faith in the capes than the humans. But um, I, I, I'm not sure I'm totally comfortable saying like she doesn't actually believe they will. Um, and we'll talk about that a lot as we get there, because I think that's something we go over pretty um, explicitly. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I guess I'll just hold off on talking about that then. Yeah. Sure. So the first people that we come across are Crystal Clear, Typhlosis, and Ratcatcher. And I think Wildbo is low-key doing a bit of structural walkthrough of the book here because we start out with with uh, Crystal Clear, who was the second interlude character and the first one left alive at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Typhlosis, who was a minor character, but he was present at the Broken Trigger event. And Ratcatcher, who has been present a bunch of different times uh, in Crystal Clear's interlude and... Uh, then had her own through line in the story. Um, and uh, yeah, just just we're we're reaching back into the past, basically. Yeah. To see characters that we saw a long, long time ago and then kind of see them here at the end and and where they've come since then. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there is something poetic about this this chapter of goodbyes, beginning with the very minor side characters that the book kind of started with. Um, we do get to see how far they've come. We get to see Crystal Clear. We get to see this wonderful interaction between Crystal Clear and Ratcatcher. That's actually just a culmination of just the little tiny moment they shared back in his interlude, all the way back in the second arc. It's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I, you know, I, I just kind of noticed this sitting here, but it's interesting how Crystal Clear and Ratcatcher and Typhlosis all have like physical abnormalities associated with their power. Or I'm not mm-hmm. sure if Ratcatcher is, is associated with their power, but um, it's, it's not, they're not case 53s or, or maybe typhlosis is, I don't know. I just thought it was something that stood out to me so. in this moment. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So yeah. Ratcatcher uh, immediately, immediately says that this idea won't work and, and rain is like, okay, well let's move on. We're not going to waste time convincing <laughs> every single person. Yeah. Um, but Victoria is like, well, hold up. Um, you know, I, I want to talk to these people for a second. These people were a turning point for me and I want to 
just have a minute with them. Yeah, I mean, the Norfair situation in particular was the book's inciting incident, more or less. This conflict that she got drawn into um, that Crystal Clear was a part of um, basically set her on the path towards this moment. And so this is a person that she feels like she has to spend some extra time with him and the people that are around him are, are uh, the people that she wants to spend this extra time. Mm-hmm. And, and of course we can't have similar moments with all the people in the community center because, well, they're all dead. Uh-huh. Hume hood's dead. Tempera's dead. Um, apparently there was a character named long scratch that existed. <laughs> I totally forgot that that was a person. A million words ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but they've not been really featured very often in the story, but that is a character that was in the Norfair situation and uh, I think was around early in the story, but has since kind of disappeared. But I totally forgot about that name. When I looked it up today, I was like, like I was like, I just want to make everyone Victoria fought with in the community center thing is dead. Right. And then I went and looked it up and I was like, oh, there's this cape. I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. Long what, scratch. Hap- what happened to Long Scratch? I think he was around after the end of the fall and fall. And then just kind of disappear. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah, I remember the name. I remember vaguely the powers. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that it's funny. It's funny that we're having this conversation now because like this is one of the things that's going to happen when you read a web serial. And even though I think you and I could probably be described as knowledgeable, um, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. It was literally two years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, um you know, there's a, there's a lot of little bits of this interaction that that I that I think read really differently when you go back through knowing what the plan is. I think I might yeah. even recommend that to people who are you know who are reading in, you know in real time. Just like maybe even go back through this whole arc, which is which is something I haven't done yet, by the way. So I'm recommending I, I, it. I did, I did, and I can recommend it. Um, yeah. We're going to talk about that a lot later, but I definitely yeah. went through it all just to see what the experience is like reading all twelve of these chapters back to back like this because there even in this conversation like minor stuff like like crystal clear saying the plan is that we each go we spread out to get better coverage we sleep for a bit and then um we croak right catcher said crystal clear looked uncomfortable at that and you know it's interesting because like partly because crystal clear is being intentionally euphemistic and vague partially because Ratcatcher is being cynical and not admitting to the possibility that it will actually go well. Uh, just the, the, the surface level interpretation of it continues to keep us off balance and continues to keep us assuming the worst. Yeah. Uh, there's, I think the biggest thing after you see the full scope of the plan is going back and seeing how many times there's either double speak or just the text is kind of inviting you to make assumptions about what is being said when it's actually something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really evident, I think, especially in this chapter. But as I reread the entire arc, I saw that in, in a bunch of other places as well. I think Defiance Interlude, there's a bunch of it going on there as well. Um, but we'll talk. I think we'll talk more about that, like the experience of of reading the arc and, and doing this all, knowing what the plan is. But and, and the minor issues I have with the plan um, when we get to it in the next chapter. But for now, one of the things that's. I really I really enjoyed here is the clever ways in like this one in which the characters are saying what they're thinking, but also avoiding saying the entirety of what they're thinking. And part of me read this and I was like, when I read this again, I was like, hey, Rain, Sveta, those of you that actually have faith in the humans, why don't you say in this moment like, hey, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Radcatcher. 
you're wrong. Like you're not the humans are going to bring us back. You don't have to worry. We're not going to die. Don't worry about that. Have faith. Trust. No one says that to these characters in this moment. Um, they're like from Victoria's perspective, we'll see it makes sense. But these other characters, they don't say anything either. And I thought it'd be fun to at least like talk about or guess as to why that might be. Um, and I think in my opinion, I think this is just a lot of people being very uncomfortable speaking with any kind of authority about, what could happen at the end of this thing. Like, yeah, it it feels like for a person like rain to offer comfort in this moment and be like, Hey, no, we're not going to die. Don't worry about it. We're going to come back. Like, even if he believes that it feels like disingenuous to like swoop in and tell someone else that when you don't know for sure. Yeah. I I think that they're all avoiding trying to push too hard. Like they're, they're, they're laying out the situation and saying, you know, here's the upside. Here's the sacrifice. If it doesn't, you know, it, it it's like if it if it doesn't work, um, well, okay, it's it's complicated, right? But but they're they're not trying to 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 manipulate people into it. And sure, you sure. know, Victoria specifically, like in her conversation with Chris earlier, where Chris like points at you know he, he points out outside and he's like it's them that I don't trust. And like now mm-hmm. we understand who he's talking about when he's pointing right. and saying them, um, and it's not who we assumed. But Victoria in that moment doesn't try to say like, oh, no, they're they're great. They're going to they're awesome. Or maybe yeah. she does. I don't remember. I didn't read it recently. But the point she is, doesn't. no. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the point is, like, she knows that won't work. And also, I don't think she believes that like that. That's not her. That's not her basis of decision. The other two, I just think they're not going to make that argument because they know it's pointless. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to Victoria and I think to Rain and Sveta to a lesser extent to make sure that people make this choice knowing that dying is a possibility. So like trying to, trying to persuade them into the choice by saying, no, don't worry, we're not going to die feels to them disingenuous or coercive in a way that I don't think they're comfortable with. And that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I want, if, if this is my plan, if I came up with this plan, I want everyone to know that, death is a possibility we could all die from this and maybe and hopefully we won't hopefully we won't but i need to know for my own myself that you are fully aware of that so if someone says we're gonna die and you respond with "Uh uh-uh no we're not that that feels like you're you're not being entirely honest i mean i I think that's victoria's Mm -hmm. like that's her whole thing here yeah and i mean yeah i mean speaking about rain specifically like i just don't think rain would ever try to to push someone into a decision like that, yeah, especially if it didn't feel completely honest. So. Totally. Yeah. 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 So I knew what, that while Bo was planning to break me with this chapter, when crystal clear tells uh, Ratcatcher that he considers her a friend and then Ratcatcher tells crystal clear to give her a kiss on the cheek uh, to transmit the power to her. And then he does it. And, and then I cried. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful moment. And I mean, first of all, we have to assume that, Ratcatcher is standing here with two members of Foresight and therefore uh, passed the second test to get into the group. Right. That's the last we saw of Ratcatcher is that they were going through and testing her again after the whole teacher thing screwed up the first time. So she's standing there with them. She got in. That's nice. Yeah. Um, But going back to that that second interlude we had the first time the two of them met Ratcatcher had removed her mask and Crystal Clear was in the middle of like changing his eye crystals because they were bleeding because this book is crazy. Uh Um, and 
one of the things she did was she thanked him for being one of the few people who uh, is able to look at her face without her mask on and doesn't flinch or anything. So I do think there's something beautiful and, and full circle about uh, her, you know, pushing her mask to the side to let him kiss her on on the cheek mm-hmm. to pass this thing on. I, I really love that. It's very much feels like a very good end for these two characters. Yeah, it's a really cool callback to that moment. Yeah, um, yeah. because I, I mean, I think that is what it is. Mm-hmm. In fact, that might I mean, we've had a lot of oblique references that she's disfigured, but I think that might be the first time that it specifically says that there's, there's scar tissue under the mask. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, when when Crystal Clear saw it, like he only had one eye and it it didn't the text didn't really go into detail. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, because like I think he saw it mainly with his power and then it just looked like weirdness, like everything does with his power. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then the two teams part ways with a heartfelt goodbye. Yeah, and here's another one of those double speak moments, kind of, because Crystal Clear says, "Is goodbye appropriate? Too much?" And Victoria's response is, "I don't know." Um, and I mean, in retrospect, that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is he not s- s- like, "Is goodbye appropriate?" We think it's like, "Should I be saying goodbye here?" I don't know. Um, no, it's should we be talking about this as if it's goodbye or mm-hmm. should we be trying to be confident that it's not? Um, and, and there's uncertainty there. Um, and I love that it can, it can mean both of those things. Yeah. Well, you know, when I think this is something, maybe I stole this idea subconsciously from some of the discussion question answers actually, but it's sort of like an inverse in bringer fight where you're about to, you know, you're about to go into the situation where there's a very high likelihood of death and you think, you know, there's a really good chance this could be the last time I see this person. So maybe goodbye does feel like too much because you don't know you're going to die. But it's definitely more than a see you later because right, right. chances are good that you won't see them later. Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny that our entire conversation last week in context of the full reveal of the plan basically just needs to be thrown in the toilet. Because yeah. we talked about how this was so different from an Endbringer fight because in an Endbringer fight, you're not walking into the fight to die you just know that there's a large percentage of a chance that you will. Um, and that uh, it makes sense to me why Victoria compared this to an Endbringer fight, because I think we talked about last week. I was like, eh, it's not really, though, Victoria, like not not as the way we understand it. And of course, we see the full scope of it now. We mm-hmm. get it. It's it's much it's actually much closer to that than uh, than we thought. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. It, you're right. You're right. That, that saying goodbye in front of those things feels weird because it feels both pessimistic and optimistic at the same time to just be wondering about that yeah yeah um i I love i mean i I love the the realism of that particular bit of like awkwardness basically it's funny how there's many moments in this chapter that actually focus on how victoria just kind of feels awkward and doesn't know what to say right um which is a very human thing to be focusing on in a time like this yeah and i mean i think the important thing about this plan is that it's Victoria's plan. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that colors exactly how she views everything, because if this is my plan, this is all my fault. Mm-hmm. And that's how she feels. And that that colors her entire interaction and how she treats it and the way we as readers saw her think about it. It, it changes all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, Victoria asks if Sveta wants company. Um, at the possible end and Sveta says no because she she just she just wants a moment of quiet by herself um and Victoria is like stung by this but trying not to hide it and and uh Sveta says I spent so long fighting me then I got a body the prosthetic one it felt like a crutch 
The one Bao gave me felt like a cheat or an illusion. The Seamurg scared me, but I feel like I can make peace with this. I'd like to sit with that piece for a bit. Uh, I love this. Yeah. I love this. I love this in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Like both about what is said here and what isn't, because we know after 20.b that Sveta believes more so than Victoria, at least, that they will be coming back. Mm -hmm. That Sveta is one of the people of Defiant that has more faith in humanity than not. Um, and so on some level believes that this will not be her end. She's optimistic that way. And I think this changes the meaning of this sent this this statement a little bit with that because i think i think she's doing two things here i think she's making peace with the fact that she might end up dying in this moment um and without achieving her goal um of of you know stop fighting with herself stop fighting with her body um but also she could just be making peace with the fact here at the end like the the concept and the threat of death tends to make people very introspective and and ponder their existence and their life so even if she does believe that she's going to survive this moment and things are going to be okay um making peace with the fact that she's never going to find like a magical solution that makes her feel whole like the way she frames this like that both bodies she's had throughout the entire entirety of the story are, were not actually solutions but just um coping mechanisms basically one was a crutch the other was a cheat or an illusion they were not solutions um and yeah. she's she's come to recognize that right i think this this helps me understand better uh the direction that is that that sveta's character has taken in the in the latter part of the book because i was really surprised you know she she got the the body from bow she had this moment of like she could finally relax for the first time in years and you're like yes sveta sveta gets her body this is great and then the book almost immediately starts kind of whittling away at that. And, you know, she, yeah, she gets yeah. injured. She gets injured many times, actually. She, she sort of like loses some of her control at, at a couple of different points. And, and you realize like, well, no, there's, there, this isn't a thing. This isn't a thing where you just, you just defeat it. You, you defeat it with a magic bullet. It's a, it's a thing where regardless of whether you, you, you know, you can, it can be better. It can be worse and it can be better, but I'm not sure if it can ever be fixed. Yeah. And the, the constant struggle, the, the constant and inevitable back and forth and, you know, two steps forward, one step back nature of it is something that requires acceptance and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, the actual effort to make peace with that. And I think that's this moment here more than the moment when she got her body and she could finally relax is, is ultimately the better moment of healing for her where she thinks I can, I can make peace with this. I can come to a point of acceptance with the fact that it's never going to be perfect. It's never going right. to be exactly the way I want it to be. Yeah. And because acceptance is ultimately where all these characters either reach or they fail to reach in a way that is destructive for them. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, just the idea that she calls the, the solution, the thing that Victoria did out of like, she was so frustrated with constant failure that she just said, I need a win. I need to do something permanent. I need something that she negotiated with a monster like Mr. Bao. Mm -hmm. Um, th that thing Sveta looks back on and says it was a cheat or an illusion, um, that it, it didn't actually solve anything. Um, mm -hmm. that, and I think that's so powerful. And I, I love that she comes to that realization here. And, and like I said, when you're first reading this chapter, it comes off as just her recognizing that she's, her story is going to end before she's made progress on this. But I think it becomes so much richer once you have the context of what the plan is mm -hmm. um, that, that no, this is her regardless of whether she lives beyond today or not has come to realize that it's going to be, 
I'm making peace with the fact that nothing is ever going to be just like a light switch solved. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, also, I think it's important to remember what that says about Victoria because Victoria was the one who was really pushing for that solution. She was the one who just, she really wanted to help her friend and she wanted to solve her friend's problem. And she was the one who, who kind of took the risk, took the extra step of, of asking Mr. Bao to do this. And Sveta went along with it once it was provided, but it was Victoria's idea. Victoria was the one who didn't want Sveta to have to, you know, compromise. She wanted her to just not have to struggle anymore. And I think yeah. this in the end here, Sveta is saying it's the struggle that I'm going to have to accept. Right. There are no shortcuts in this yeah. uh, because he turned into a Titan. Yep. Yep. Um, they do. They do leave this conversation reiterating that they're best friends. Mm-hmm. And despite everything that's happened, I think Sveta says, despite how fucking annoying you can be, uh, you're still my best friend. I still love you. And so even though they're going to go off on their own um, and be by themselves here, Sveta's beautifully going to sit by the water. I love that moment where she said, I learned that because of breakthrough. It's because of breakthrough that I learned these things about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so Sveta leaves this conversation being so wonderfully thankful um, for everything that she's gone through, everything that this group has provided to her, um, taught yeah. her about herself, learned about her past, learned about who she is, learned to accept herself. Um, it, it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment, even though Victoria is saddened by it because yeah, she doesn't really want to be alone actually. No, no, she yeah. doesn't. So then they try to convince rain that he should spend some time with chastity and he's <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Uh, and then they move on to the others. Yeah. Um, I think we so we learn here that the Aaron thing is not happening. And I don't think I was not surprised by that. I don't, I don't know if you were um, I, there. I'm glad I'm glad the Aaron thing is not happening. I think there was just too much history there. <laughs> too many, too many things to overcome. And Aaron seems off with Lachlan happy doing their thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm very happy that that's kind of where we leave that character. Um Yeah. But but what about chastity? What about, what about yeah, chastity? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, how do you feel about that generally? Do you feel like that's like a that's a good match? Um, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard for me to think of any of the heartbroken as a good match, just because they're also right. like volatile. I mean, I guess chastity is one of the one of the ones who has shown a bit of um maturity. Yeah. So, well, I mean, and everyone's struggling through their shit, right? Yeah. Like e- everyone. I think they have a lot in common as as far as th- things that they went through in their childhood that have really damaged them, and the fact that they're try they're both seemingly trying to work through it. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, it'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, rain rain deserves something. So, yeah. I, ho- I hope we later find out that he has shocked up with chastity. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out that this is another instance in which the conversation takes on a different tone once you read the next chapter, because Rain is basically talking here and he's like, uh, like, I don't know. This makes like a really intense first date. And Uh I don't know if if I want to do this. Um, And like rereading that, I really got the feeling that Rain is being optimistic here that like first date, but not only date here. True. Um, And Victoria's response to this whole thing is basically. I don't know if it matters. And that's, I think her pessimism kind of coming through there. Uh Like it's not going to (laughs) matter. Yeah. Um, Right. But I I think, I think you're exactly right. Rain is imagining that they, they wake up holding each other and they're like, Oh, hello. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hi hi there. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a good point. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
they, they then go into Kinsey, uh, who of course immediately asks to be dosed, but Victoria demurs, and uh, Kinsey just kind of lets that go for, for the moment and then tells her already 30% of the capes have been given the effect, including some who were forced, um, which Victoria doesn't like to hear that, but it makes sense. They had to force the dangerous ones like Monokeros and, um, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to leave the monsters around um, without, you know, the good guys there. If, if, yeah. if that happened, uh, if, if the bad option were taken. Sure. Um, and I, I admit that this was kind of confusing at the time because I was like, how would the bad ones be left if it, it's not, it's not worth going into it. I, I think my confusion was more than adequately laid out in last week's episode. Um, <laughs> I don't, don't need to talk about it again. Um, sure, but, sure. but yeah, I, uh, I get it now. Uh-huh. Um, but then Victoria says, and I think this is a great example of character change for her. She says, okay, just the most dangerous ones. Then you mean monsters, not villains. Yeah. I mean, it's showing her ability to see, beyond the label a little yes. bit there, which is something she really struggled with. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just, her, her first, her first conversation with Tattletail is something I can't wait to go back and read mm-hmm. because that's one where, I mean, there she sort of does see Tattletail as a monster. She sees, she sees Tattletail as this person who is, is very much related to the specific thing that happened to her. And she is just not, I think for most of the story, not willing to give villains a whole lot of, uh, anything, a little leeway or, or, yeah. you know, understanding, um, she just, she really, it's the same as, it's the same as in this chapter when she's like, Oh, I'm surprised people aren't lining up yeah. to, to take lethal injection. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's because <laughs> she's like, I don't understand why someone would choose to be a pain in the ass instead of help. Sure. Sure. Yeah. She's a guy. She learned a little bit more about the world yep. in the past two, two million words. Yep. So we didn't talk about this portion of the choice last week. I think this was kind of very broadly laid out that they might force some people to accept the choice. Um, and I, I think we didn't talk about it last week cause we weren't exactly sure how, how like much the plot is going to directly confront that idea, but it seems like they're going forward with this. So we have to at least talk about it. Um, based on what we know about the plan right now, making sure that if all the heroes are going to die, all the bad guys that would fight them stay also dead seems like the logical choice a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, like the idea of having the self-sacrificing capes die only to leave the selfish people seems like a bad call. Mm-hmm. Um, but I- I'm still a little uncomfortable about this. Um, just like we talked last week so much about the importance of agency and like, I like with capes like Monokeros, I think that the, the fact that wild Bo uses a-, a cape like Monokeros as the example here for one that would meet the qualification is a good choice because you hear that name and you're like, yeah, okay. Yep. Right. Make, make, make dead. Sure. I'm for it. Um, but who, who is getting to decide like who are the monstrous ones? Like who makes the call who falls above that line? Um, and who doesn't. And I mean, that is kind of an uncomfortable thing like that. That is removing agency. We're, we're giving you a choice except for if you're like really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and on the surface, great. Monokeros, yeah. Worst, awful, horrible capes, totally. But, like, where is the where do we draw that line? Who gets to draw that line? Who gets to decide that thing? I'm a little uncomfortable about yeah. it, if I'm being honest. Right. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I think pragmatically it just seems like the wardens have made this call because, yeah, right. you know, it, it was Victoria's plan, quote unquote. But they were obviously the ones who had a lot to do with facilitating and implementing it. And sure. 
Um, and ultimately they're like, all right, we're just going to do what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're in charge here basically. And yeah. I think, you know, even when she hears about it, Victoria doesn't really try to stop this from happening. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, there like there were a, a series of, was it five capes that they banished to prison dimension? Mm-hmm. Um, I know some of them have tightened, but <laughs> would I mean, all th- those people apply? Like, right, well, well, I got, that was the, I got the feeling that that was five of many that they had done already. So yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think there's a good chance. Well, see, my recollection was that they were just using the prison dimension because they didn't, they literally didn't have a workable pair human prison. So yeah, they, um, they had nothing else to do with them for sure. Yeah. Um, it and, and I get that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I struggled with that at the time, um, with like both understanding the rational and logical necessity of that and still feeling very icky about the general idea of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about this. Um, not saying that anyone's making the wrong choice, just that with the importance of agency and choice coming to the forefront in this book so much, like someone unilaterally getting decide who gets that and who doesn't just makes me go, eh. Mm. Like, I get it. Totally get it. But also, eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, so we, we rapidly get shown that Victoria's whole family has complied. Yeah. Uh, we even get to see the video feed of Amy kind of getting past Marquis in order to join them, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, <laughs> Victoria doesn't want to see, but I think we, we did. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kenzie, for ignoring Victoria's request there. Um, the thing about the scene, Matt, is we don't get to see the words here, probably because someone like said out loud, no, don't worry, the humans will bring us back. And therefore, we weren't allowed to hear the dialogue there. Uh-huh. Um, but but anyway, what's your what's your take on this? Because we see that her family approaches her. Amy originally seems to say no, she's not going to take this. And Darnall walks in says something to her and it changes her mind and she accepts it despite her father's like devastating like attempt to stop it. Right. Like he throws out his bone shield. She touches it, breaks it down and he drops to his knees and it doesn't say he's weeping here, but in my head he's weeping. Uh Yeah. I mean, my interpretation was that she had incapacitated him briefly with her power. I guess that would make more sense through, through contact. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the idea that he's on his knees is is very dramatic (laughs) to me. Yeah, Um, certainly. Um, I mean, my so so the way Victoria takes it, I think, is sort of the way I'm going to just kind of crib from her mentality, which is part of Amy's reticence is that she doesn't want to touch anybody. And what Darnall actually does is is he comes in and he's like, no, you you're you're okay there. You're not going to accidentally do something to one of your family members. You you know, you've you've got it under control. Like like if this is your decision, then then you should do it. Um, that was my interpretation of like, I don't think she was hesitating because she was like, like, no, I don't want to die. I think she was hesitating because she didn't want to backslide. Yeah. That was I think my that makes a lot of sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, doesn't that, if that's Victoria's interpretation, right? That's basically what she assumes. Yeah. Um, it is. That seems important that like her assumption is not, Oh, Amy's going to do the selfish thing. Right. Yeah, her assumption is basically that Amy is going to do the the um, the, the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's I, I think I think a kind of, a kind of progress for for Victoria to to be able to even c- contemplate that in the first place. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I hate, <laughs> you know how I feel about Amy. <laughs> yeah. I know how you feel about Amy. Um, this moment when it is Mark, not Carol, that brushes her hair aside and is the one that delivers this thing to her. I don't know. I, I was touched by that moment. Like as, as horrible as Amy is and she is, um, these are her parents still and as shitty parents as they have been and and they have been, they're her parents. And I don't know. I, 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 I really appreciated that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I didn't really make the connection that it was Mark, but Mark was the one who, who Victoria had begged to uh, blow Amy away if if she right. caused a problem. And here he's sort of following through on the spirit, if not the letter of that. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that's great. I mean, I think I think it's always touching to see someone take a step in the right direction, even if they're like as far in the wrong direction as it is possible to go, because it just sure. tickles your yeah. sense of like humanity like a a genuine a genuine step toward uh trying to be better is always going to be heartwarming even if it comes from someone who is as low as a human can possibly be yeah totally and i mean the, the thing that i love about this and the thing that i love about this ending in general is that it's not an ending in which everything is solved right like i think specifically by the end of this chapter, at least from what we know after 20 dot B, there's still bad capes alive. There's going to be good capes alive to fight them. There's still going to be some shitty people. There's still going to be some good people trying to stop the shitty people. There's still going to be a whole bunch of people struggling with them, with their worst nature. Um, nothing is like solved on that regard, but they get to continue to try. And so I don't think Amy's going to magically be awesome now. No. After 24 hours of um, 24 Thera- hours therapy. of, of yeah. therapy, obviously not. That's completely unrealistic. And I don't think I think the book has str- like one of the, one of the core tenets of the theme of this book is that this road is long. And like we said earlier, there are no quick solutions. There are no shortcuts. Um, but yeah, it, this is a step. And I think I think you can celebrate steps, even if they're tiny ones, even mm. if even if there's a step back for every two steps forward as, has been a constant refrain um, throughout this entire book. Yeah, I think so. So um, ultimately Victoria tells Kenzie straight up, no, they're not going to give her the death touch. And Kenzie just kind of seems to accept it. And um, unfortunately I think that I, I don't have the most positive read on this scene because I, I think that that's just because she's learned that if Victoria's going to say no, there's kind of no point in arguing with her. She's she's going to have to go around her if she wants something. And I mean, it's it's it is sadly ironic to me because she tells them that she wishes that they would give her the benefit of the doubt, but she's totally lying because she ends up getting the effect later from someone else. And um, I mean, she drops in here that all of her heartbroken friends have already taken it, which is yeah, like like once you learn that, you're like, wow, you're really Kinsey you're not going to do it and then you're not at all surprised when she later does sure sure I, I the touch of the fact that Roman took it because remember Roman was the one that was definitely going to be the hero yeah so Roman's the one that has it um and then they freeze Roman in place to get chicken little to get it and then of course Darlene does it and then Candy does, it's just like yeah. dominoes um yeah I I have a much more positive interpretation of this than you do, I guess. Um, And I'm not saying that mine is right and yours is wrong. I just came out of both of the Kenzie scenes in these chapters a little bit 
a little bit more positive. Um, I kind of want to wait till we get to the Kinsey reveal to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. In the next chapter. But I was shocked by how much Kenzie's speech here kind of like took me back a little bit here. I felt like she I know she's talking to Victoria, but I felt like she was talking to me, the guy who is perpetually worried about Kenzie. Right. And and that's not to say that Kenzie hasn't earned. I'm worried about Kenzie moments. She certainly has. But I was proud of her in this moment. And and even even knowing what she chooses to do later, I found I retained my pr- my pride in her in this moment. Um, I don't know. I, I think just the idea of like at some point she she's growing older and at some point like she needs people to at least give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't know. That's the thing is in the moment it totally did have that effect in me on me. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, like, like it, it's, it's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that she's never given trust she's never really treated as being an an agent who can make her own decisions you know she's never given that agency and thus if she wants agency then she has to take it through um conniving means which she which which she does and then she gets in trouble for and so you're like well how can you blame her and i mean i mean it's it's a good point but it's it i i feel like it is undermined knowing that she gave this impassioned speech about how she's not going to do it and then she does it anyway um, I mean, you could just argue, like, what right do they have to tell her what to do? And then I'm like, well, she's she's a kid. So that's that's the right that they have. Yeah, because um, I'm going to make that argument. I don't like. Yeah, she's a kid. They've also like it's just I hate how Breakthrough just randomly decides when they're going to enforce their rules on Kenzie and when they're not like when we need her and her tech, it's fine. When we don't really need her in this moment. No, you can't do this. Like that has been the refrain throughout this book. And like, I don't know, in this moment where agency and personal choice is the most important thing, when when one cape choosing to do this could be the difference between failure and success to to turn to this girl who, yes, is a child, but has also been with you throughout every moment of this entire story and then go, no, sorry, this is this is the one line that we won't let you cross. Um, I don't think that's very fair. And I, I, I don't, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but I don't think, I don't think she does it solely because she is feeling left out. I I think, I still think what she says here, she means, I don't think she's planning on doing it anyway. I think she means what she says here. And then she gets afraid at the end that it's not working and she chooses to do it to try to help. Um, and I don't know, that seems like an important distinction to me. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I'm, I'm trying to work through whether I think that matters. I mean, I, I do have a certain galaxy brain way of, of viewing it and, and saying like Kinsey's version of acceptance is, <laughs> is that she accepts that, people are going to keep treating her with kid gloves and the only way and like she's going to have to try to like play a different game than they're playing like if if she wants something she just needs to to take it which is actually bad so i don't know i'm I'm not sure (laughs) i I don't know it's, it's interesting because like i feel like i'm i'm comfortable with where we've left rain and sveta and and even victoria um 
if this were just the end for Victoria's character, I would be like, yeah, like, like great. That's it. But for <laughs> Kenzie, I'm like, well, where does she go from here though? What does tomorrow look like for her? Is she, is she going to keep, but like she had that great conversation with Gru and she talks about how it helped her, but, um, is she, is she going to, are we ever going to find that she's kidnapped a pair of people to pretend to be her parents again? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure the answer is no to that question. I don't know the answer is no either, but I, I, I think that's, that's part of her journey is that tomorrow live or die is going to be hard for her. It will always be hard for her. She's always going to struggle with this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just the truth of it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if I look at this as a betrayal of the point she makes here, um, but we can we can circle back around to that when we have the, the text from that scene sure. sitting in front of us. Yeah. But. Yeah. Let's let's just break from that for a minute. Um, we do see Perrion and Foyle on the on the video feed. They're with the undersiders. They're talking. They're together. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Let's just imagine this conversation for a sec. Let's uh-huh. just uh, let's just role play this a little bit. OK, so world's going to end. Yep. <laughs> Probably gonna die. Yep. You still, uh, you still wigging out out, 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 out over that whole flesh golem thing? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence for these two. Yeah, right. It, I mean, I do. I do think it's interesting that it says they're talking uh-huh. and not embracing. No, <laughs> like they are talking. I don't know. Maybe they'll work through their shit. I don't uh-huh. know. I don't. I think. I think there's some things that are too difficult to overcome sometimes. And I think foils got some issues that she hasn't been dealing with for a very long time because she was enjoying being with Perrion well, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and having this life with her. I think and, the, the flesh golem thing was just the cherry on top of right, right. a lot of needs going unaddressed. So yeah, yeah, totally. Unfortunately, I think that is correct, but we'll see. Maybe I should be more optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people should break up. That's true. So next they go to talk to Damsel, who is freaking out and being hemmed in by heroes. Victoria tries to talk her down, uh, and we get a more somewhat misleading dialogue as Damsel portrays what the heroes are choosing to do as just lying down to die. Damsel kind of loses it when Kenzie shows up in projection form, and she tries to kill her, um, uh, which uh, by my head canon is enough that Swansong subroutine spikes a critical error and takes control long enough that swan song sorry that damsel can be captured um it's interesting in the text note that she goes from being described as damsel to being described as ashley in victoria's narration yeah because even victoria recognizes when swan song has taken control yeah and i think that interpretation is generally generally correct one of the first things we hear Ashley swan song say is the harder we try to be strong, the weaker we are, which kind of indicates that, uh, that her attempts to be so strong there is what weakened her enough for swan song to, to grab control. Um, I, I find this scene horrifying. Uh-huh. <laughs> like this is basically damsel's worst nightmare coming true. Like all this time she's been saying that, that you people just want your Ashley back. That's all you want. And Victoria has been like, nah, but also Victoria has been like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, so this moment that the damsel's worst nightmare happens here is just horrifying. But it is also, I think, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like that's that whole the harder we try to be strong, the weaker we are thing. She was so adamant to ensure that it didn't happen that she opened a path for it to happen. Um, she caused yeah. this. She did this. 
Yeah, right. I mean, she, I think that's exactly right. She, she went down the same exact path that all the other damsels had the path of, of ranting and raving, um, in, instead of, instead of accepting the inevitable and, and being brave. Yeah. I mean, on top of being horrifying, I think this is just really sad, right? Like we, we mused that her moment alone at the end of the Seamurk fight might be the last time we saw her. It isn't. But this is even more pathetic to me. Like yeah. just her ranting about like it's the same kind of shit Ashley was saying way back in the Eclipse arc, right? Like it's the same kind of sentiment. It's the same kind of nonsense about how like I'm going to be on the top and and everyone will rally around me. And and the the cruel twist is that. Victoria already knows that all the people that were supporting her or were on her team have either just said fuck off and left or have already taken the mm-hmm. taken the the drug. So yeah. she's just totally alone here. She has no one. She has nothing. Um, and she loses herself enough for for Swansong to take control. It's, yeah, I it's sad. It's sad. I kind of, I mean, it's interesting. It's been interesting seeing people's reactions to this bit in particular, as, as certain people really feel like it's just awful that, that damsel was, you know, that they did this to her against her will. But I mean, she was basically showing herself to be one of the monsters who they couldn't afford to leave alone. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's what she wanted to show them. She was trying to prove that to herself by trying to kill Kenzie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 well, yeah, I'm not I'm not happy. Like, I don't like whatever you strip agency from anyone. I, we talked about that already. I'm not like super thrilled about it. But when you have someone standing in a hallway flicking their uh, matter erasing power at a child, uh, not knowing that she's not really there, I think someone's got to do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's why Swansong takes control is because someone's got to do something. And, right. she, and we get it established that she cannot she's not confident she can hold it for long enough to make Ashley not a threat. That's I mean, I thought that was a great moment specifically that we, we've had these hints that Swansong is there. Well, that, that's, you know, some vestiges of Swansong is there there under the surface kind of leaking through either, either the memories of Swansong's life or or some facets of her personality are bubbling up in certain situations but this this moment where damsel tries to kill kenzie i think is enough that it it like it activates something deep inside her where that part of her just will not let that happen and i think i think basically damsel in a sense forced forced that to happen like like yeah. if damsel hadn't tried to kill kenzie then swan song would not have been able to come to the fore yeah yeah it's sad i mean it's really sad i i, I like I I saw this as being her end um, when we saw her at the end of that fight. But this is just like a nail in the coffin of of how sad and, and kind of pathetic that is. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm bummed. I'm Me bummed. too. So next they go find Byron and Vista who are hanging out on the roof. Uh, they haven't been dosed yet because Vista is providing transit for people. Yeah. Um, but Victoria goes ahead and she doses them here and now. So, you know, as, as we're following these goodbyes, we're also following kind of the progress of all of the important people in the story um, yeah. being sent off. Yeah. And we, we haven't talked about how it's basically a last in first out type of system, right? Where the people are, that have like the chain of dosing affects how soon you're going to pass out. Right. Um, if you're close to the beginning of the chain, you will take the longest. The more down the chain you are, you will take the fastest. Um, right. So which I guess I mean, yeah, that's true. We, we we don't actually see anyone lose consciousness. So 
No. There's not much dramatic consequence to that. And I, I don't think there will be. Like, like I don't think the next chapter after, uh, you know, the chapter that comes out today, Tuesday, <laughs> will we'll feature like a, an action scene where it actually matters. But I could be wrong. We'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to matter. I think, I think it matters because it basically means Victoria is forced to sit there and, and wait the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, it just drives the emotion home of, of that yeah. this was her choice. This was her plan. This was her deal. Um, and she has to not literally watch everyone pass out, but sit there, stand there knowing that it's going to be basically everyone else before her. Good point. Yeah, you're right. Um. So yeah, Vista or Byron says he's going, going to go home and be with his parents uh, as he falls asleep and has invited Vista to go with him. But she's uncomfortable with that. Probably the same reasons Rain was uncomfortable with the chastity thing. It's uh-huh. just a lot. It's uh-huh. a lot very quickly. Um, but she doesn't know where to go because she doesn't want to go to her home because those people suck. Um, what I like about these moments, Matt, is there's no goodbyes to them. Like. Vista and Victoria do not say goodbye here. Um, And at the time, I thought they were just avoiding doing that because it was too hard. But of course, I think Vista doesn't think it's going to be a goodbye or or neither of them want it to really be a goodbye. So goodbyes are being avoided. There's and there's that's really true throughout the chapter, like outside of of Crystal Clear saying farewell or saying, is it, is it appropriate to say goodbye? Nobody really says farewell to each other. Like they, they don't have these moments like where and and that doesn't stick out to you the first time you read it but on reread that really stuck out to me that no one really says that like like when victoria is about to leave she hesitates before leaving but it's not because she's like i have to say goodbye this is going to be the last time i see vista she says it was impulse that drove me hesitation as if somehow this was made it final it's 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 taking the final step to going to the place where she's gonna gonna pass out is what makes this whole thing real. So mm-hmm. it's not like, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, I, I think, I think it, it's interesting. Cause I mentioned earlier that I think, I think that Victoria doesn't think this is going to end well, but stuff like that makes me wonder because she's, she's definitely acting like she's, she thinks there's a good chance. She might never see these people. Yeah. But yeah. Then again, she's not acting like she's certain that she's never going to see them again. So I think allowing herself to acknowledge the fact that it might end well would devastate her emotionally if it doesn't. Yeah. Well, like it's it's the whole I definitely failed that test thing (laughs) because then then if you fail the test. Well, that's what I thought was going to happen anyway. Sorry, it took, it took me a minute to get what you're talking about. Yes. You mean the phenomenon of everyone after a test saying, oh, I definitely failed that test. Yes. Um, yes. Regardless of what their actual performance was so that when they get their grade back, they'll only be pleasantly surprised if it was right. a C. Right. And, yes. and that's the way she's communicating it to others, too. Like we talked about earlier. If all I communicate is that it's almost certainly death, then it's not my fault if everyone dies. Or That's a bad way of phrasing it because she's not trying to push off responsibility it's that she's taking responsibility that's why she's framing it this yeah way. she doesn't want i think the way even the way kenzie describes it later is like victoria is making the choice victoria w- would make the choice either way and so she's making the choice as if she's not coming back from it right right and she wants everyone to make the choice that way as well yes because then at least like she w- she was as clear with them as possible yeah yep 
So then um, Natalie, wait, did I skip something? Sorry. Yes, you did. I did. Um, yes, I did. I did. I did. So Vista uh, creates a pathway to the old Breakthrough HQ and um, Victoria passes by distorted damaged versions of many of the landmarks of the story as she rides the beam to the destination <laughs> that's a dark tower joke yes it is um to go, to go like way fucking out there for a second here i really love that she's seeing these moments from her past as she flies by them but because of both the damage of the city and vista's power all these places from her past are unrecognizable mm-hmm. and to me it's like she's looking back at her past and she's come so far and changed so much that she has trouble recognizing the past. She has trouble recognizing those moments anymore because she's had changed so much and learned so much and is such a, a not completely different person, but a grown person. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I mean, like if you ever drive by your old high school when you're many years out of high school, a part of you is like, that's not that's not it. That's not yeah. right. That, right. Like you notice you just it, it's just it's just off. Right. Mm-hmm. Because things not only do things about it change, which they do, but also you change. And I think that's more to the point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about the fact that this is the place she chose? I think we see in her head that she says there are five places on on my list that I'd want to go. The place she chooses is the OG breakthrough headquarters um, that's basically abandoned. I think this just represents sort of her her vision of how things should have gone or could have gone or, or the, the, the best of what she has been trying to do this whole time. She, you know, this was a time in her life when she was trying to build her, her Cape organization, which I don't know if we ever actually settled on a name for, you know, the, 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 the cooperation network of, of Capes working together and cooperating, even if maybe they didn't necessarily have an incentive to do so. Um, you know, just, just, uh, I mean, I, I feel like I don't remember. It's funny. I don't remember the timeline. Like I don't, I don't have easy mental access to the timeline of the story, but it feels like the last times when they were actually in this HQ were the times before everything just began sliding into the abyss narratively. Um, there mm-hmm. was still, there was still hope that they'd be able to hold the city together at that point. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what it represents to her. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, like she can't be with, her breakthrough family, but she can be at the place where breakthrough was born, I think is significant as well. Like it's, it's so funny. She lived this whole life before the beginning of this book, but the one place she wants to go to is, is where she sees perhaps her life truly beginning or her, her second life, her second chance, her, her new opportunity began with this team all together in this base, trying to do street level stuff to make the world better mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I i love it i love that she wants to and, and maybe like maybe in victoria's mind if i wake up um this can be my base of operations once again like we can rebuild this and i want to wake up in in the place look around and say i can i can do this i can rebuild this i can i can have this again i i like that idea because I think at the start of this chapter, at the start of this week's, you know, reading, I was like, Earth Gimmel is lost. And then by the end of this week's reading, it's okay, well, Saint has done something, something, and the machine army might actually be handled somehow. Yeah. Sleeper is retreating. Mm-hmm. Seamurg is dead. The shards are defeated. 
so maybe maybe you do get to to you know I think it'll be very thematically appropriate that they 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 remain in this shattered destroyed city instead of fleeing and trying to paper over the damage again because at least a shattered destroyed city is a better is a is a more honest and accurate representation of how humanity is doing um than this artificially yeah. you know beautified city that they were living in earlier I, I do agree that like going to just a different earth and rebuilding another mega city <laughs> would seem to contradict some of the stuff that the book was trying to deal with right this idea that humanity suffered this horrible trauma collectively and then we just moved to the next dimension over and just rebuilt everything the exact same way and tried to roll with that again. And of course, it it, it collapsed once again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there would be something rather poetic of the fact that um, they they rebuild on on the ruins of this world rather than just just let's start fresh. Because I, like we talked about the 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 push and pull between the past and the future, right? Like has, that it's been at the core of this. And that I think we, we kind of got a answer to with defiant in, in that interlude where, well, it's kind of, it's kind of both, right? You, you hope for the future, you hope for second chances, but you are what has happened to you and you are what you have done that, that informs who you are and you can't ever really run away from that. It's always going to be there. And so yeah, them just like grabbing their shit and moving to the next earth over would be just running away from that again so yeah i like that i like that a lot yeah because the refugees of bet at large have been a character (laughs) you know you you could call the the humans have been a character and in fact one of the most important characters because i mean they they're they're almost uh there's almost um i mean obviously I'm, i'm oversimplifying for the sake of making my point but it's like there it's like there's two there's two characters there's two tendencies who are the people of bet there's presley and there is um who i i'm just gonna say gary nieves is the other side of that because he was no, the it's, one it's who caden their name is caden well i know it's caden in this <laughs> in this chapter but but caden is not the best representative of that side so it would be unfair yeah he is he's a sniveling <laughs> little piece of shit he's the best representative of that side i think he i think he is the true id of that side he, he is the 4chan of that side <laughs> Um, and, and Gary Nieves is the, is the, uh, mainstream, uh, news, uh, uh, talking head personality, which, which uh, obviously there's a connection between those two phenomena, but you said um, mainstream news, but you were thinking Fox news. I, I <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Uh, let's, shall we? let's move on beyond this. Yes. <laughs> Nothing in this book is topical. Um, <laughs> So finally, Natalie, best and most clutch member of Breakthrough, is here at the HQ. Um, Victoria reaches out to her and then gives her a fob thing. And I love, I love the way it, it happens. She says, I reached out. Natalie extended her hand below mine. I dropped a fob into her hand. And I mean, I think it, it's intentionally parallel how she transmits the effect to other capes. She always reaches yeah. out. They always touch hands, but it, it, you know, it's, it's different here. It's well, what is this? What is this fob? We have no idea. We, we still don't really understand at this point. Yeah. I mean, the first time I read this, I stupidly for a moment was like, she's going to give it to Natalie. And then I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't that make doesn't, any sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right that it is supposed to parallel, parallel that. And I mean, the passing of the fob is perhaps the most emotional beat ever. I know whenever I hand, what off to someone at work. It's like, this is it. 
<laughs> this is the fob. Yes. Um, no, nah, it's it's a great moment. I, yeah. I really like I really like the little mini conversation they have between the two of them where it's just another thing that reads differently on reread where it's just like they're just un they're both uncertain about the what's going to happen and they don't know. And it's just like this really this conversation that's very hesitant, hesitant to be too optimistic, hesitant to be too pessimistic. It's just really it's great. I love it. Yeah. And then the chapter basically ends with Victoria thinking it was up to them now with mm-hmm. them in italics. And I was like, them, huh? What? And I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't get it until 20 dot B. I don't, yeah. you know, it's funny. I don't actually know if like the fandom at large figured out what was going on because I, I just, it's, it, it is still the, the, the weird times in history right now. And I just haven't really <laughs> been on, on forums and, and tapped in as well as I often would be. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know if people figured this out or not. Yeah, I I really don't stay very tapped into other stuff going on. Like, I, first of all, I don't want my opinions to be too influenced as I'm trying to form them by other people. I try to keep that as a minimum. But also, yeah, in the in the the end times, I'm very untapped into that. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm them to me was just the other capes. Like she's sitting here, she's done her duty, she's passed it along to as many people as possible, and now she's hoping that enough other capes accept it uh to make this work Mm -hmm. that was my interpretation of it but i you know reflecting on it now could have also been the shards uh, the the titans could have been like all right balls in your court motherfuckers because that's kind of what they are doing is they're they're rolling out this big gambit and they're hoping that the that fortuna blinks um and hey she does (laughs) um so I think one of the things I want to kind of talk about here before we move into the next chapter is the fact that the climax of the book happens in 20.B in that the antagonist is defeated and the central narrative conflict is more or less resolved. Um, and it's not from our protagonist's perspective. And that's yeah. pr- that's a pretty big deal that that. Like, it's a pretty big deal in any structure because normally the, the and, and and look, I think there's going to be more of Victoria. I don't think the book is done. I don't think we're moving to the epilogue after this. So obviously we're going to go back to Victoria, I think. Um, and, and she's got some stuff that she's got to deal with at the end of this book that we'll talk about next chapter. But the defeat of the antagonist occurs through the perspective of a minor character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very intentional choice that was made here to kind of help clarify the themes and i think it's especially important for a character like victoria who so often needed to be there on the front lines being the one to make the choices um Mm -hmm. was not really able to step back very often um and let other people um she had trust issues she's always had trust issues and and this is the ultimate trust test (laughs) um and so it makes sense that we see the resolution of that from the people that are asked that are asked are being asked to 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 make this this choice Mm. i think it i think it's great and and i almost don't know how it could have been any other way which is funny because i had no idea this is going to happen uh a priori but post facto i'm like oh obviously this was it like she's she's spent the whole book um you know she's gone on news shows she's 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 argued her case in every venue possible from from individual interactions to trying to broadcast her her feelings to millions of people she's tried to live her life to be this example of what a what a person should be or or or, or how a person should try to live their life to be mm-hmm. to always be trying to be better and 
and how this is, you know, this is the best of people and it's, it's, it's worth giving people second chances. And she, even as she had her own complicated feelings about these things, like she was far from someone who felt like she had all the answers. Yeah. Um, but at least she was working through it in real time in public. And then it turns out that kind of the argument of the story, the thesis of the story is all right. She, she did what she did. Now the time for action is over and the actual crucial decision has to be made on the basis of did she make her argument adequately? Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, we'll get into this in the next chapter, but I think a lot of Victoria was talking the talk, but doubting the walk. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not quite the right expression, but you know what I mean? Like she, I think she believed the things that she was saying, but I think she also secretly doubted them at the same time. Like, I think she wanted, she wants to live in a world in which, uh, the good ripples out stronger than the bad. I think she wants to live in that world and that's the world she wants to exist in. Um, and she's going to behave as if that's the world they live in. But I think she's at several times throughout the story doubts the truth of that. Um, and this is kind of the ultimate test in that regard. Like, is the way I see the world the way the world actually is? Mm-hmm. Um, or am I wrong? And if I'm wrong, we're fucked. Right. Well, I, I think that's that's the thing is, is she's constantly had to struggle. And that's what the story is about, is struggle. It's it's about the fact that, like, you don't actually just get to, like, t- t- take a stand, be firm, and win. It, it's, a, it's a personal struggle that takes things away from you, that erodes you and, and yeah. breaks you down. And puts you in situations where you maybe even compromise or maybe even lose yourself a little bit in little ways. Um, but the key thing is that she never stops fighting, uh, yeah. even, even yeah. if she loses a battle here and there internally or externally. Yeah, yeah. You keep taking those steps forward no matter how many steps back get taken. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that. 20.B. So we begin in Presley's point of view and indeed continue in Presley's point of view. Um the girl who Victoria reached out to, even despite the fact that Victoria's first reaction to her was to be a little spooked by her appearance yeah. because she looks vaguely similar to Amy. This girl uh, is the crux of everything. Yeah. And before we get started, I, I want to talk about like we talked about what how it's a brilliant move to rip the narrative away from Victoria for the climax. But to center it on Presley, there's literally nobody better to see this this resolution from. It's brilliant. Like if we look way back to chapter Arc four, chapter four, that moment, we, and we return to that moment on the train, that moment of disagreement between Swan Song and Victoria. We've returned to that many times throughout our discussions of the story, haven't we, Matt? Because I think both when we were reading it, we just felt like this is important. This is an important declaration that Victoria is making here. And she says way back in that chapter, the little things ripple out. If you make a positive or negative impression, people mention them to others. Those people mention them or carry them forward. You're not just interacting with him. You're interacting with everyone he's potentially going to interact with in the future to lesser degree. Sure. But I absolutely think it matters. And then she follows it up a little bit later with the good things have a way of rippling out with more strength than the bad things do. Um, and that's what we were just talking about. Like she believes this, I think 
but she struggles with it like mm-hmm. anything else. She struggles with that. She moments where she wanted it to be true, but felt like it wasn't really true moments where she felt like humanity was just a bunch of fucking Eric's who weren't reliable at all. And we're just going to be pains in the ass and stand in the way of doing the things that needed to be done moments where she just didn't care about them at all. Um, in the moments around making that, making that choice to help out Sveta where she just wanted to do something, anything that would make a permanent lasting change, not just these little ripples that extend out where she wanted to make a big fucking splash. That's what she like. Those were the moments she struggled with. But here at the end, it's the ripples that matter. It's it's not it's the little things. It's the little moments that ripple out and matter. Yeah. And Presley is Presley is and has been representative of that throughout the entire story. And so, of course, it's her. Of course, it's her. It's interesting how even in that conversation with Swansong, it it does seem almost naive for Victoria to be saying good things have a way of rippling out more than bad things because they're living in this dystopian aftermath of, of a horrible disaster. Each of them, each cape has their own life story, which is in a sense defined by some horrible thing that happened to them, some horrible bad thing that that slammed into them, and it wasn't a ripple; it was it was a meteor strike, and it, it it destroyed them. It turned them into someone else. And so here's Victoria saying, "Well, the good things have a way of rippling out and and having a bigger impact." And and you can almost imagine Ashley like rolling her eyes at at, at the at the stupidity mm-hmm. of this. But the thing is that she's she's turned out to be right that. The, the thing about the thing about the good, you know, the the good ripples is that they do behave the way she's describing. They they move between people. They build up. They build up their own momentum. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really awesome. It's it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Um, Gosh, gosh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Let's just, Presley MVP. Yeah. So um, Presley is gathered with a bunch of other humans in a crap sack shelter location with visual within visual range of the glowing red of the cracks and the shimmering rainbow of the sleepers bubble. Um, everybody is reaching, uh, sorry, re- reacting to the situation about how you would expect, uh, different degrees of hopeless and freaked out. Yeah. And so <laughs> we've talked about colors and symbols over the course of this book, Matt. And, uh, one of the things I'm most interested to kind of really dive into on a reread is the way in which red has slowly, but surely like supplanted gold as the horrible color <laughs> over the course of the back half of the novel. True. I, I can't wait to read worm three when everyone rebuilds the settlements with red clay. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah. And the opening lines will be, uh, red of all colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Presley is instructed to take aside the child of uh, one of the women who's having a meltdown. And this child's name is Caden. Uh, he's 13 to Presley's 12. And Caden is easily the most hateable character of all time, uh, including all the mass murderers in the story. Oh, yeah. He's a monster. Like if he was a cape, they would have forced the sound plague thingy on him. Absolutely. absolutely. For sure. Monster. Absolute monster. Yeah. So Presley tries to get rid of the kid, having drawn him away from the scene his mom was making. Uh, but he just kind of like cluelessly hangs around her, complaining about how his mom's a loser. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, then he criticizes the way that she's chosen to set up her sleeping area, which is which is very, nice, which is cool. Very helpful. Yep. It's very helpful. Thanks, Thank man. You. Um, she takes out her photo as a breakthrough and Caden sees them and immediately starts in with his like infuriating approach of trivializing her personal connection to these people, calling her a fangirl. 
Um, and, you know, I recognize this from my own childhood as being the juvenile instinct to trivialize everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, uh, Caden, I think he's super important, <laughs> actually, for being like a one-off introduced in this chapter, like piece of shit character. I think he's actually super important. Um, I, I think you could argue, and I, I would generally agree with you, that the conceit of the book is revealed in this chapter. The full scope of the plan reveals the conceit of what the story is trying to do. And if that's true, then every single bit of this chapter becomes even more important, important to that because they're all beats that are trying to land the book's theme in a satisfying way. So in that regard, Caden, this throwaway brat suddenly becomes very important because he's meant to symbolize something that is antithetical to the theme of the story in a way. Sure. And so we see and we see throughout this that Caden and Presley become kind of symbols for two different parts of humanity's idea on parahumans. We'll see later that Caden echoes a lot of the anti-parahuman talking points here. But the one thing that the book emphasizes over and over about Caden is his childishness, his lack of maturity. Like like Presley goes on this long rant, like describing every little bit of him and showing how this comes off as childish. He's actually a year older than her, but like maturity wise, much younger. Um, so what is the book saying then? Like if Caden is meant to represent a view of parahumanity that is negative and dismissive and he's just an immature idiot kid, then isn't that isn't the book saying, well, that's a stupid, immature idiot opinion. <laughs> I, I think it, I think you could you could frame it that way. Um, I, I want to return to my comment earlier about Gary, Gary Nieves being the avatar of that particular mentality because Gary Nieves actually kind of like has points and the thing is like like what does it mean to say that he has points because I I think that he's like like the the problem with a situation like this is that he can have like five really good points except all of those points when added up together um culminate in something that's unacceptable so like it doesn't matter it, it, it's the danger of like talking point style argument, which, sure. which I think, I think is literally what he was doing because that's, that's, that's how he thinks. That's how he operates. That's how he moves through the world. And, yeah. and this kid is, is like the person who has downloaded into his brain, all of these talking points, because a, as you see him kind of reacting to Presley, he's reacting in this very like, um, I don't know what word to use other than stupid. Like it's just a very, <laughs> it, it's a very like that. That's not an argument type of response. You know, like if someone did that to you in a setting where you actually had an opportunity to refute it, you would just be like, Oh, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. And I, I will now defeat you. But, but, but the, the frustrating thing about a person like Caden is that that's not how it would go because they would just keep mouthing sounds endlessly and <laughs> never actually yeah. like recognize when they'd been, you know, logically defeated because that's not how people argue. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, totally hundred percent. I think regardless of how, of the quality of any of Nieves's points, this is what happens. Those arguments get flattened down into mm -hmm. pull quotes. Um, and that's basically what Caden serves in this. Like even later in the chapter when he's like, like arguing 
about capes, all he's saying are like like memes, basically. Yeah. Not quite memes, but like that's what they're for. That's yeah. what they do. Like right. it's just it's just it's not an argument. It's yeah. just it's just headlines, basically. Yeah. Um chirons, basically. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And this is this is what happens when you take that argument regardless of how well it was framed um and distill it down to its most basic level which is which is just what happens mm-hmm. and that is that is Caden 100%. Um yeah. the thing I like about this though is that he's an immature idiot kid who has these immature idiot points distilled down to him that are awful but he still exists in this world and the world has to deal with him and people like this. Yeah. And I I love this moment here at the beginning. Presley, like, first is just like, I should just ignore him. And then she's like, I just want to clobber him. And she doesn't do either of those things, really, because those things don't really work. Like, just ignoring those people and just punching those people doesn't fully solve the problem. Not not like this. Like, and, and we're not talking about, like, like people directly trying to cause other people harm. Obviously Victoria punches those people, but people like this that are just kind of assholes that have these beliefs. Um, you can't punch away those opinions. Um, so you have to deal with them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of what, what the book is doing with both Presley and Caden here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and what's interesting is this, this kid, he's just an idiot kid, but, but, but he has these anti-parahuman opinions. He he has these opinions of like, well, it's their, it's their, it's their points. The point of capes is to die for us. Mm -hmm. And now the the story has put him in a position of potentially actually being able to act on that feeling Yeah. by saying, all right, well now the capes are literally handing you the kill button for them. And, And and I think it's an interesting sort of parallel that like it's very easy to to behave in real life as though rhetoric, which you could call hateful rhetoric. I mean, whatever label you want to use, the, the kind of rhetoric where you are you are speaking against a group of people. Um, it's it's just talk, right? Yeah, it's just talk. It doesn't hurt anybody. We're just talking. We're just sure. we're just talking about ideas. It's it's just ideas. Ideas don't hurt anybody, except once you've put those ideas out there, and then you find yourself in a situation where, oh well, now we can act on these ideas. Then horrible things happen. Yeah, and they've happened over and over and over and over and over in, in history. Sure. So it, it, it's kind of weird to me that people always need to like be reminded of this. <laughs> but it's true that we sure. we tend to we tend to think that we're exceptional and it couldn't happen to us. Um, yeah. Well, I, I I think this is like there's stuff going on right now <laughs> that uh-huh. this relates to. Uh-huh. I don't I don't want to I don't want to make a whole political allegory, but it's right it's right there. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave we'll leave that to you, dear listener. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, um, so then uh, a guy who matches the description of a character from American Psycho shows up. And it's Eric. Okay, Matt. He like loosened his tie and rolled down his sleeves, though. So he's like he's like working hard. Uh huh. You can't you can't just dismiss him because he's he's got his tie loose and his sleeves rolled. Yeah. No. No. Good point. Good point, man. Fun story. I actually did that at work once when I had to wear a suit, and my boss told me to stop it because he said it looks unprofessional. But how else do you show that you're working hard? Yeah. You roll your sleeves up and loosen your tie. Yeah. I. I mean, I definitely roll my sleeves up a lot at work. Yeah. 
I do that basically constantly at work because I'm business casual and they don't care anymore. Yeah. Oh, that was that was when I still went to work though, uh, and that hasn't happened <laughs> in a long time. Ah, uh, good times. Oh my god. Oh my god. Anyway. Yep. Um, we just, I'm just gonna pull this one quote from uh from Eric. I worked directly under and with Scenario. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Yes. <laughs> yes. Forgot. I forgot about that for a that. second. Yeah, I'm sure everyone here really cares about that. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is great because yeah, I think it it's a way in which Wildbow can be very clear with us, the reader, that this is that Eric, um, while also just being totally in character and exactly something that I would expect him to say in this moment. Yeah. Well, also, I think it's good to prime us on that because there's a risk that we might be like, oh, Eric. Oh, no. Eric hates parahumans, yeah. which is not true. Eric had a really bad experience with Victoria and yes. he and he has a kind of weird <laughs> weird kind like like condescending prejudice against capes but he also thinks they're awesome and sure. he and he thought it was really awesome that he got to work with scenario and thought she was great specifically mm-hmm. um so he's not he's not anti-perihuman he is just a, a, a an idiot he's a, like i'm gonna repeat the same thing i said the first time we met him he's he's just a little bit of a prick yeah yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> perfect um, I mean, it, it's hilarious how everybody keeps talking every time he says anything instead of just waiting for him to finish, sure. which which really annoys Presley for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, th- and then we get this great beat where this has been happening a bit. And then Eric says something and then we get that's good news. Caden said his voice joining the babble. Eric <laughs> Presley pr- pressed a finger to her lips. It's just, <laughs> it's just I, I just I, I love the 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 element of like, God, I fucking hate Caden. Like, like, like yeah. everything about this chapter is like, everything is, is just making you hate this kid. Yeah. If I'm being maximally uncharitable to Eric here, which that's always fun to do. Yeah. Um, you can't just say a sentence like all worlds are going to be destroyed and expect people to just like maintain silence until you're done with your speech. Like that's not going to happen. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair. Um, so Eric then tells them that uh, 60 going on 73% of capes are uh, have already complied and uh, with, with what Eric is calling the drug, I guess to keep things simple, that makes sense to me. Um, teacher is apparently helping find the capes who are harder to reach. So Yeah, we left him alive. That's some, good. Something about second chances. Yep. Mm-hmm. Eric says the drug left in their system will kill them. The fob he's holding contains the instructions needed to reverse the effects. This is the plan. Hold the data the entities need hostage. And humanity has to choose. Uh, Eric says the wardens felt that it was important to give you that choice or else this would be tyranny. So are they going to save the parahumans or let them die? Yeah, so here it is, Matt. Here's the plan fully revealed at last. So let's just spend quite a bit of time talking about this. This is the biggest element of this week, and we have to talk about it for a while. Um, and I think I think we have to start talking about it thematically, right? What does this mean? Because I do think I do think this reveals to me at least the full scope of what I think the central theme of Ward is. Um, this idea that recovery from trauma is a long, painful road, but it is ultimately possible through a combination of self-love and acceptance, trust and support of your community, cooperation with your fellow man. Um, 
and and so this is I think the last bit of that slotting into place for me. Um, it's basically elevating the reach out portion of Victoria's mantra to its fullest extent. Reach out to everyone. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's absolutely beautiful. Kenzie puts this very well in the conversation she has with uh, Presley a little bit later. Think of it like a sickness. We realized we couldn't do it on our own, like someone with cancer who needs chemo. So we reached out for help. We're trusting you. Um, it, it's thematically just perfect. It, per- perfect. It's beautiful. Um, every bit of it just ties everything together. I love it. I love it to death. Yeah, uh, I, I like I like your connection to Victoria's mantra because it it has the reach out. It has the, mm-hmm. um, I guess I guess I guess mainly the reach out is is the is the thing that ended up being key. Yeah, I thought I had something else, and then I realized there's no laws there's, anymore. There's, yeah, so. there, there's there's no law in this situation. It's it's do what feels right. I guess fundamentally is, um, be, became part of her mantra at a, at a certain point. I guess you could just you could just simplify and say that. Um, all of all of the kind of changes of her mantras or, you know, little little governing um, mental habits that she had in the story have been wayfinding her way to being able to reach this decision where she did just have to put her trust in other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful. And so now let's talk about why why we think it was hidden from us in this way. Right. Because this is a choice. Right. The choice was. We are not going to learn the full scope of the plan until those in charge of making the choice learn about the choice. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at everything, looking at it from, you know, just reading these two chapters along with everyone else, looking at it as reading the entire arc back over again, like I did yesterday. I think choosing to make that beat reveal itself at the same time as Presley learns it and therefore humanity learns it is perfect. I think it allows the weight of the moment, the realization of the conceit and the disparate themes and motifs the story has has thrown out there to come together in the perfect moment in the perfect way this right now. And I do think revealing the full scope of the plan prior to this moment would have perhaps lessened the impact of this whole thing. Um, yeah. I, and it would have fallen a little bit emotionally short, um, had it not been this way. Yeah. I, I, I think that's exactly right. I think, um, Victoria has to be out of the frame as a decision-making force before you understand the consequences of all of it. Otherwise it's not really about the agency of the people. It's about the agency of Victoria. You're, you're, yeah. as you're reading, you're thinking to yourself, Oh, Okay, so so imagine imagine we knew this plan from the beginning of arc twenty. Throughout the entire chapter, you're you're thinking, oh, is Victoria going to be able to persuade everyone? Is she going to mm-hmm. be able to to give a good enough showing to convince the humans that they need to do what you know that they need to do the right thing? Um, you're you're going to be completely missing the target of like what what this story actually is, is trying to yeah. make you think about and focus that, on that becomes the central narrative tension throughout every single one of those chapters, not what's literally going on, but knowing that tomorrow or five minutes from now or 20 minutes from now, whatever they're going, that, that the humans will be offered this choice. Yeah. And that tension like overcrowds every other one. It, it just, it just takes over because it, it is such an important, incredible, thematic 
choice. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to get to it until we're ready to get to it. Yeah. And as it is, we're, we're led to believe through Victoria's narration, because this is how she sees it. She does see it this way. She sees it as this is genocide. This is death. Right. Right. And she knows there's the probability, the possibility that it's not death, but she just, you know, we were talking weeks ago about this idea of like, she's not really thinking about it the way I feel like she would think about it if, if it were, if, if she were going to be, you know, killing her herself and all of her, all of her closest friends and family. Yeah. And now I sort of see that differently because it's like, well, what, what was unbearable to her was thinking that maybe they would live because that hope was just torturous. So she just told herself it's death. Mm-hmm. It's, it's death, but at least, at least we have a shot of defeating the shards this way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and that's a perfect in universe explanation. I don't know if it's enough. And this is like, here's, and we're speculating. We, we cannot read wild Bo's mind. Um, Reports to the contrary. Uh, (laughs) If I'm a writer and I come up with this idea and I come up with this idea and I say, okay, this is the moment I want to reveal the idea and it needs to come from Victoria because that's very important. Then the next question is, okay, how the hell do I get there? Mm -hmm. And I think in this case, it's really fucking hard. It's really hard because it just so happens that my protagonist is an incredibly introspective person who, even when she's avoiding thinking about something, will talk about how she's avoiding thinking about something yeah. <laughs> like that has happened in this book multiple times that she has avoided that she has consciously said she's avoiding thinking about things. And so how do you have that person and then mask the full scope of the plan from that person? And and what the book says here is just what you talked about, that she's not entirely convinced that they'll help them. She hopes that they will. But if she's wrong, she's just killed thousands of people and she needs she needs to look at it as the worst possible explanation exactly what you're talking about about natalie basically says as much in their conversation later Mm -hmm. yeah exactly but (laughs) but it's still like to me there were moments that it still was like it's just it's just really hard man like we were talking when we talked about chris we talked about the idea of like heist films and how there's always there's always a, a secret addition to the plan that we, the audience didn't know about. And that's how you make it you make the tension work and make it narratively satisfying. But see, it's easy in movies because you just like have characters say, all right, and here's the last part. And then the screen fades and then, then they're doing the thing and you're not in any of their heads. So they don't, it's like, they're going to be talking about the hidden third part of the plan in the middle of doing the plan. Like, but this is this isn't a movie and we're in her head and it's just really hard to do it this way. And I do think despite how much I love the ending, despite how much I love um, everything that this became, I do think there are moments here where the obfuscation of what the plan is becomes a little confusing um, mm-hmm. to the you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think well, the ending works perfectly. I think. I, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like if I were to, to speak to myself three weeks ago. And be like, don't worry, it all it all turns out beautifully. You'll be you'll be so satisfied with the way it turns out. I, I would just be like, I just don't see how to get there from here, you know? Right. Like and, and it's not that I didn't 
that's a very different statement than saying, I don't think Wild Bill can pull this off because I always genuinely was just like, well, of course, of course, he'll, of course, he'll, it'll be great. I just I just don't have any fucking clue what it's going to be. And, and, sure. and that and that's kind of maddening. And I think that's um, I, I, I guess that that's where I kind of feel you is like when you're reading a web serial, one of the hard things about a web serial is that you you're you're being tugged along week by week by week and you know this is part this is episode six of last meaning this is the 12th chapter so far is that correct Mm -hmm. correct yes so that's how long we've basically known about this plan and um and and it's it it becomes at a certain point you become (laughs) uh it it becomes weird that there's it's just a weird thing about web serials it becomes weird when when you spend that that much time in a kind of limbo yeah. um but personally i was always like well i know that i know that it'll work out somehow in, in a way that's interesting i just yeah that i i that that's that's all i'll say about that yeah, yeah. no I, I i totally get that um i i do think my exercise of rereading the entire arc and of course like it's impossible to reread the entire arc as if you've never read it before you just physically can't do that so right part of my opinion is informed by the fact that I know what's going to happen. But I do think this is a problem that is only going to exist in this moment in time mm-hmm. and will not exist anymore going forward in the book because of the way people are going to read it from every second from now on. Sure. Um, because I do think when you are reading the chapters in rapid succession, like you do, you just, you just don't spend as much time thinking about the plan. Yeah. Like it, there's literally just a moment of like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. What does she what does she mean by that? Yeah. Well, huh? And right. then you just read the next paragraph. Um, so, yeah, it is it is this weird combination of trying for something that's very, very difficult. Um, the, the degree of difficulty in, in finding a way to explain away why a point of view character who is super introspective is not thinking about certain aspects of things when they probably should be is tough combine that with the fact that this is a web serial um that people are reading two chapters at a time with days in between it's just yeah it's a very specific isolated kind of problem Mm -hmm. but this is i mean when i told you that this is what i wanted to do after we finished worm i think this is part of what we wanted to experience right like this is a unique way of absorbing a story yeah um like that most people don't get to do like, like there, there is, there is only one moment in time in which we won't know what, that nobody will know what happens next. And, and we lived in that moment for a while. Um, and that's very, very unique. It, It is, it is not something you can ever really recreate. So, I mean, this is what I wanted to see. And, and I think it has its advantages. It has like, there's a, there's a way in which you can tell a story this way that, even though it's very long, which it is, you also feel like, you know, the characters because you spend so much time with them because it's not just the, the, cha- the number of chapters, but the amount of time that you're spending with these characters. I think, but there are some disadvantages to it. And I think this to me is one of them. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, like as I've been paying attention to like deep impact or, you know, and, and reading pact and, or, or maybe, you know, familiarizing myself with some bit of thing that happened back when Worm was actively coming out, you'll realize like, oh yeah, people didn't react very well to this particular thing. 
and and you'll be like, what? Like that that thing was awesome. I I have no I have no even complicated or nuanced feelings about it. It was just awesome. Um, yeah. But like at the time, it was unpopular, and people were complaining. And it's like, wow. I still I was still shocked to learn that people didn't like the time skip. And I know I'm in the minority on that one, even still. But that was a surprise to me that I did not I did not even know when I said that. And 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 people were like, what? That's yeah. ridiculous. Um, yeah. And that's one of those things where I feel like when you're binging it, you might walk away from the story just with a kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't really like the time skip, though. I feel like I missed something. And then you like go on with your life. Mm-hmm. But if you're like in the community when that happens, then there, it just becomes a, a resonating chamber of, oh, my God, can you believe it? And um, and it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and uh, not to like the thing that I don't want to do here is minimize anyone's complaints. Like, I certainly don't want to do that. And like I said, I have not been paying as close attention to the various communities uh, recently. Um, so I'm not like fully, fully caught up on what everyone's complaints were with this. I know that people had them and your feelings are valid. I, I don't want to dismiss anyone's feelings. Um, this is this is what I think. This is the part I didn't quite like, but this is the part that I loved. And, and I think to me, the most important thing is understanding why the book had to be this way. And, and I think that's what I left this chapter with. I left this chapter with, yes, absolutely. We had to learn about this here. Now I fully believe that. And I know some people are going to be disagree with me on that and that's cool. But I think it is so important that the reveal happened right now, right here. And I fully believe that. And so that minimizes my complaint with the mechanics used to get there. If you yeah. get what I mean. I do. And, and I think we feel similarly, if not exactly the same. Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, moving on, Eric, of course, then goes on to speak in impassioned defense of the pair humans. Cause he's a good guy, Matt. He's a great he's guy. A good guy. So we talked about why Caden was super significant in this chapter. Why is Eric here? <laughs> why did Wild Bill bring back the world's most controversial character who we've seen more arguments in about in the Doof Discord than literally any other moment in the story, uh, including all that stuff we just talked about? Uh-huh. Why is he back? For the you themes. can't just say because Wild Bill is a troll. You can't just <laughs> say it, Matt. You can't do that. Uh, I mean. What what is a web serial if not an extremely elaborate and complex troll? You just did the opposite of what I said you could do. I mean, I said it in a in a way that was dressed up as if I were saying something profound, which is <laughs> isn't that our whole podcast? Yeah. I thought that I thought, shit. They're on to us. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I I think I think it's important that he's here, the one passing on this message, right? I think it's important that we frame him as even though he's a prick. He's an ally still. Yeah. Or um, he, he can be he can be flawed. Yes. And still be and still have his heart in the right place. Yes. He can be a prick and a little sexist and yeah. and and more than a little selfish and self-centered and self-aggrandizing and still have his heart in the right place and still be willing to um, to support the people who need to be supported when they need support. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, I think that in a story which is fundamentally about deeply flawed people struggling um, and and failing sometimes, the idea that we have this this guy who fits that bill to a T, uh, serving this role is like, yes, this is of course exactly 
what we should have expected to come of Eric mm-hmm. is is like he's he's a he's a normal person. He's not great. He's <laughs> yeah. not a he's not a serial killer either. He he has his he has his issues, but when the chips are down, here he is with his tie <laughs> loosened, with his sleeves rolled up, you know? I love that you said he's not a serial killer, but you started the section saying he's dressed like the guy from American Psycho. <laughs> no, no, no. He's dressed like a, a American Psycho character. Everyone oh, in that book is is described. Not, not the American Psycho. No, okay. I mean, I mean, yes, but also just everyone in that character looks like this. Yeah. No, I know what you book, mean. I, I mean. What you mean. Yeah. 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 So. Um, the people, of course, begin arguing immediately. The lingering anti-parahuman sentiment that's pervaded the book, stoked by people like Nieves, manifests as expected. Uh, the few voices who speak up seem to be shouted down, and Presley frantically tries to call the phones a breakthrough, eventually running up to the roof to get a signal. Kenzie eventually intercepts the call. Yeah. And Kenzie, go ahead, sorry. No, I just, it's it's like terrifying kind of to see like the initial gut reaction of like, some people are passionately like they've sacrificed their lives for us. We should, we should repay that. And then they're just immediately shouted down. And it's just like, uh, you can kind of like, I I don't think at any point throughout this moment, did I think that this book was going to end with the humans going like, nah, fuck these guys. But I, the, the test, the, the, I think proof positive of this scene working on me emotionally was in this moment. I was like, no, Right, because you've had again people like Nieves like building this narrative in the background the whole time, and you you know that they've. Been, I mean, I remember one, the, the time when they were they were having lunch at a food court, and they were like banners hanging around the yeah, food court yeah. from a, a recent anti-parahuman rally, and you're like, oh, you know, tugging on your collar. Uh, this right. this is going somewhere. This is this background element is foreboding, and and, yeah. and this is it. This is where it was going. This moment where they have the choice, and suddenly all these people who've been in the background the whole time are like, yeah, fuck those guys. And, um, and you've just put these people in charge of your life. Yeah. Um, basically. Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah. I mean, except of course you've put people like Presley in charge of your life too. Yep. Um, so Kenzie says, um, some people like Victoria took the drug even while not believing that humanity would catch them in this epic trust fall. But Kenzie says that she does trust them. She says, you guys trusted us a lot, letting us do our thing even when we when we messed up. I definitely made some embarrassing mess ups. Believe me, <laughs> you gave us second chances. But listen, Presley, we love you. I love you. It's fun getting the messages and fan art. Uh, but I've got like an hour of work to do and only 20 minutes to do it. So maybe you took it. <laughs> yeah, I did say I trust you. I truly 100% believe people are good, Presley. I love people. I know this will be okay. And I'm not sure we have enough. The red light's still shining and the cracks and crystallization is spreading. So I'm going to contribute my 0.1%. Oh, Kenzie. Um, see, this is like, so to rehash our conversation from earlier, uh, the red light's still shining and the cracks and kiss crystallization is spreading. So I'm going to contribute my 0.1%. Um, that line, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. I will totally cop to that. But that line does make me think that when Kenzie said the things she said to Victoria, she earnestly believed them. But as she's watching this unfold, she's getting scared and um, she decides that she has to act. Um, and, and and my hope here is that she's not acting out of I'm being left out. Um, these people are leaving me behind. It's out of I want to contribute. I, I, I see the way things are going we might not have enough, 
it could be one person that stops this from working. One person saying no, and I'm going to do what I can. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I, I don't know if I'm being too optimistic here. Well, um, I, I think I think you've just unlocked it for me, actually. And I, I wish I could now retract what I said earlier. I think I think when when she was talking about the benefit of the doubt, she was talking about like, I wish you'd give me the benefit of the doubt that I can make this decision objectively and for the right reasons rather than just making this decision because I'm weak and don't want to be left behind. And I, I'm, I'm a, I, I just want to do what everybody else is doing because I'm afraid of being alone. I'm not making this decision because I'm afraid of being a, left alone. I'm making this decision because it's the right thing to do. That's the benefit of the doubt that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I, I hope I pray that that is that is the truth here. Um, I, I want to believe it so hard. And so I'm I'm gonna good. <laughs> cool. We did it. We did it. All right. So Natalie is on her way to a different settlement to give her own speech to a different group. Natalie assures her that Breakthrough unanimously trusts people lie uh, and then tells her <laughs> that Capricorn Red sided with his brother in, in this decision as well. Lie. So um, Natalie clearly trusts Presley. <clears throat> You're just really channeling your inner Victoria there, buddy. Just, just ripping Natalie to shreds. It's. Is it because you don't like her jacket, Matt? Is something wrong with it's her the jacket? jacket? It's really puffy. It's not. It's just not a good look. Doesn't I don't go think with she. I, I don't think she says that breakthrough unanimously trusts people. Uh, I think she says that she says that Victoria doesn't really. She's she's the one that says Victoria isn't really sure. I mean, um, okay. I'm I'm being a dick here. Like obvi- obviously, <laughs> Natalie is just trying to spare. The twelve-year-old girl, yes. c- the complete heartbreak that would be incipient if she were to just be blunt with her. It's yes, I'm. I'm. It, it's just funny to me that in doing so, she has to tell her multiple direct lies. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I don't know if like Capricorn Red siding with his brother. I yeah, it's a lie, <laughs> but also like she just doesn't want to have to tell her. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, he died trying to save his brother. And so like technically like trying to like he died in this act to save his brother. So he is implicitly supporting his brother (laughs) and therefore like, yeah, she doesn't want to go into all that. But I I do like that. Like I like that feeling like when she says that when she says um, he sided with his brother on this, I I was like, yeah, yeah, he did in his way. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think he would have if yeah, he if sure. he had lived anyway. Sure. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, Caden totally sh- uh, shows up and just totally tops his previous efforts to be despicable. The mm-hmm. two of them argue on the roof with Presley making a very passionate but not entirely articulate case for humanity and the worth of parahumans and the obvious moral rightness of rescuing them. Caden, for his part, does the very very helpful thing where anybody watching the exchange who started out sympathizing with his views would quickly change their mind mm-hmm. so that was a good service that he provided yeah thank you for being a, a real shit yeah. and just really helping yeah. santa claus realize how much of a shit these opinions are that's right they did what they were supposed to do this is what capes are for it's why we kept them around <laughs> um let, let's talk for a second about some of the specific things that presley mentions sure uh she talks about victoria's scars and wounds she talks about when precipice went to jail but then worked hard to be a hero she talks about swan song being an ex-villain who got better 
Um, and, sh- and she says, this is what they're supposed to do because it's what I'm supposed to do. It's what you're supposed to do. We get better. We push forward. We give our all, even if it means reaching out to shit breathers like you to help and back them up. They struggle constantly. Tress and Capricorn had to deal with messed up stuff and they were good in the end. And that's just one team. Um, so it's just, it's interesting because she doesn't, uh, the, the reason I pulled it out, the reason I focus on it is she doesn't focus on how, how awesome they are and how they've saved lives which is true. They have, Mm -hmm. um, she focuses on their, their flaws, uh, their mistakes and fundamentally their humanity. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love this. Like the, the contrast between they did what they were supposed to do. Dying is what capes are supposed to do in the eyes of this anti-period. This is why it's why we kept them around. Right. Versus her. This is what they're supposed to do because it's what we're supposed to do. Um, this idea, like this idea that they, the, the, the anti-parahuman sentiment echoed throughout this book, this idea that you're only supposed to, you were only putting up with these people because of the value they contribute, that your only value in society is what you can do for that society specifically. And this is all they can do for us. And that's the, what we're going to put them up. So, so this is them achieving their value. Um, and it's just this horrible, terrible way to look at things. Right. Mm -hmm. And her response is basically that we got so focused on the para that we forgot about the human part of the word and they are human. They are just like us. They are us. This is what humanity does. And I'm not talking about humans versus parahumans. I'm talking about all of us. This is what we do. We try to get better. We push forward. We give it our all. Even if it means dealing with people like you, even if it means putting up with the people that are pieces of shit because we can't ignore them and we can't just punch them. We have to reach out to them, too. This is and essentially is this not to to not get too political, but is this not what democracy is generally like the the concept of this is basically democracy is. We put power into the hands of everyone and we trust that there will be more good people out there than bad people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even if those people out there make mistakes that they're trying and they have their own struggles and, and their yeah. own opinions, which they've arrived at validly, even if we disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's just, such, yeah, it's so important. Um, it's so, so, so important. I, I, I love it to death. I love this argument to death. I love what Caden represents. Um, and, and like the thing about the sneaky thing, and I love that you compared him to like this distilled, like id version of this argument, because like everything she says, his stuff back just sucks. Yeah. Like precipice went to jail, but he worked hard to become a hero. And Caden's response is, but he went to jail. <laughs> and, and it's like Caden exists in this binary where there are bad people and every and good people and bad is bad is bad is bad and there's nothing else and mm-hmm. all we can do with people that break people that that deviate from the norm is punish them for it yeah. kind of um and th- and that's it and so this is that this is the punishment they've deserved um yeah right he's He's awful. I mean, I, I, it's funny because obviously we don't have capes, but but we have all kinds of other groups that are prejudiced against. And so it, it's, sure. it's it's funny how the the sort of flippant bullshit that comes out of his mouth is recognizable 
as being like, oh yeah, that is the kind of thing that a 13 year old would say in this, in this, in this type of conversation. I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to extend it specifically to mental health generally because, but I I do feel there are some echoes in the ways in which society treats mental health generally. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that these people like this, this broken idea that, that, this is just the way these people are and there's nothing we can do about it. Why would they don't, they don't contribute anything. Like it's just, we, we treat mental health so shittily. Yeah. Um, and I, there were some echoes there to me, but I didn't have like a fully formed enough opinion that I wanted to declare it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I think in the same sense that powers and, and trauma and mental health are all sort of right. tied up together in a way where, I mean, a, a trauma is, is <laughs> there's a Venn diagram there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. Which, uh, yeah, I guess we, we, we don't we don't usually talk about it in that specific way. But I think the story itself uh, has plenty of of that to to work with. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think the story is in, inviting you to make comparison to any kind of marginalized group here um, yeah. and the way in which society treats them. So mm-hmm. you're, I think you're absolutely I, right there. Another way of saying it is I think I think we actually talk about mental health a lot. We just don't use the term mental health. We, sure. we use more specific terms because we're talking about more specific things. Sure. Yeah. So of course, uh, Santa Claus, uh, has uh, Santa Claus, AKA John Druck, AKA everybody's boss, um, <laughs> overheard this exchange was moved by it and decides that he's going to persuade everybody that they all need to save the capes. And thus Presley saves the fucking world. Y'all mm-hmm. ripples. Yep. Man. She's ripples. the queen. Um, later that night, the people standing watch get word that, uh, Titan Fortuna has crumbled and we hear, from Eric, she wanted the cycle to continue, and rather than fight us, us, every step of the way, the easiest way to do that is to let us carry on. It's over. It should be. We should wake up our capes. Our capes. So they did it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Our capes. So can we talk about this plan for a minute, just to parse it through our head? Because I just want to make sure I'm, we have at least, at least the same level of understanding. Okay. So the idea is generally that... You make all these parahumans sleepy and threatened death. Mm-hmm. And so basically they're ho- as, as it says in the chapter, they're holding the data hostage here. Mm-hmm. They have they're fucking with Fortuna's ability to do stuff and are holding data hostage at the same time. And they have segmented out the decision far enough to where one entity, even with a path to victory thing, cannot overcome like you you could maybe convince like a hundred people not to vote right or to vote the way you wanted it to but because it's such a large number of people everywhere that there's just too much that the path the path to getting this to go the way i want it to would be like a billion steps yeah and there's no time and it takes so much effort and energy to do that that it just it just becomes improbable yeah. Um, and that's how they won by by basically putting the putting the power of decision making not in Cauldron's hands, not in one group of people's hands, but in everybody's hands. Um, yeah. Again, it's kind of like kind of like democracy that it's when when power rests in the many, it is harder for one person to take control of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Theoretically. If, you, if you take this very literally, um, it says uh, she she wanted the cycle to continue. The easiest way to do that is to let us carry on. Okay. Well, how does her power work? She finds 
the easiest path, right? Right. If, if her if her question in in her in her giant Titan brain is, I want the cycle to continue, um, and the, the path with this with, with the, the path that ends up shattering the Earth is forty seven billion steps, <laughs> but she could actually do it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she could. She could probably craft like a persuasive argument targeted at each and every human. She could probably pull something off. But a shorter path is just, oh, fuck this. This is a hassle. Let's just let the, let this go on and we'll find some other way of doing it. We'll find some other. Yeah. Th- th- there is some other path to victory that that continues the cycle but doesn't shatter the earth. Yeah. And I think that's that's what happened here. Yeah. It uses it uses the the flaws of path to victory that have been outlined pretty explicitly throughout the story against it in a way. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, the, and, and that's very clever by yes, the way yes, i mean we we victoria had this whole plan built around like we're going to set up our plan to come into effect right after she has beat the seamerg meaning she got what she wanted but now we poisoned the thing that she wanted right and now she has to to uh to zig and zag and and of course we we rope doped her yeah. um and the idea that this is like going forward and cont- a, a continuing issue right where they could continue to use this against her continue to have this as long as this possibility exists the path to destroying everyone will always be longer than the path to continuing so it's like this mutually assured destruction like yeah standoff right and and honestly the thing that took the longest for me to really click on was the fact that this is basically a game of chicken where the longer fortuna waits to just surrender the the more likely it is that the capes will start dying and thus carrying their polluted data into the shardscape mm-hmm. and and just completely ruin her ability to even continue the cycle at all so yeah. faced with that dichotomy she ultimately says okay we'll we'll let we, i want the capes to live preserve the data and and we will figure out how to how to continue the cycle some other way. Yeah, I like the way you framed it, though, because it's almost not even like she decides we'll let the capes live. Mm-hmm. It's literally just this is how path to victory works. Mm-hmm. That True. She just asked herself the question and like there's there's very little choice here. It's just this is what her power displays when she asks it the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, we even I think that this was very, very explicitly set up back when they were talking about like, I think this was in the teacher, the teacher battle when they were talking about like, how does it work? And and the idea was like, well, um, um, you the, the, the way that you the way that you deal with her is you just put complicated things in her path. Yeah. And then yeah. She, and then at least she has to figure out how to go around them. She's going to get around them, but hopefully it'll take you time. You know, she'll have to do things that are complicated and indirect rather than direct. Um, and that, that's what they did here. So, I mean, the, the, I think when we reread this, we'll understand that we were being primed the whole time for a functional enough understanding of Path to Victory that, that this would all click for us. Yeah, I agree with that. Sure, sure. I love it. I love it. Um, and we also learn, like, as you said, that there's hints that um, the machine army has at least been gotten under control through that stuff Saint was talking about. So that seems to be dealt with. I mean, the thing that I really like here, though, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, the thing that I really like, though, is that all we've really done is extended the status quo. There's not like 
the sh- the cycle is still going to come to an end eventually. And 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 theoretically, the shards will still be wanting to work towards what they're programmed to work towards. Um, and so all this really it done is is extended a standoff here. But that's that's recovery, right? Like that mm-hmm. is what the book has said about trying to trying to get better is that there is going to be there's not going to be a moment in which suddenly the thing standing in your way of getting better just goes away it's always going to be there it's always going to be a struggle it's always going to be hard but you keep trying you keep going forward just like what presley said you push forward you give it your all you struggle constantly that is what it is Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it makes sense to me that this ending, this status quo that we've apparently reached now is not like sunshine and roses is not a, in a way the end, what the end of Ward was, which was we did it. We stopped the cycle. We beat the bad guy. We're, yeah, there, there's this amnesty. There's this golden future for mm-hmm. us. Um, things are still going to be hard. Everyone's problems still exist. When they wake up, they all still exist. There's yeah. still going to be bad capes doing crime. There's still going to be good capes trying to stop them. There's still going to be monsters. Um, maybe. I mean, maybe they won't wake those people up. But I think I think there's good enough cases for why you should try to wake up as many people as possible. Um, I don't know. Hell, there might even still be triggers like that could still happen. New capes could be created. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. But like all these problems are still going to exist. We haven't solved those problems, but we get to. Our story gets to go on and we get to try to get better. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it makes a lot more sense with the theme of acceptance being so pervasive that, um, yes, it is. It is the status quo. It's it's the thing that you didn't want to, to continue. It's going to continue. Sorry, you're going to have to accept that that's the status quo, but you're yeah. going to have to find a, a new way of dealing with it and, and work it into your life. And I mean whatever whatever that means exactly you're going to have to find some you know in the same way that every individual has to make peace with their shard like how victoria has made peace with her shard and found found a balance found even a symbiosis with it humanity and the shard species are going to need to rather than trying to kill each other constantly find some kind of balance and some kind of compromise yeah um, that they can both if not be happy with then then like a good negotiation uh, a, a, you know, a, a good negotiation is when neither party is happy. Um, neither of them are going to be happy, but they're not going to be dead. So yeah, it, it, that's, it, it's going to have to be what they accept. Yeah. Yeah. And, and same with pair humanity and humanity, right? Like, yeah. like even if humanity as a whole in this one glorious moment chose to save their capes, our capes, um, that doesn't mean that tensions between them are just fixed forever. And everything's happy now. Those tensions are still going to exist. There's going to be some there's there's always going to be cadence. There's there's just they're always going to be those people that feel that way. And just because a majority of people in this instance voted to bring them back doesn't mean that those people go away either. So, yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. It just feels right to me. Like, I remember us talking a long time ago about how is this book going to end in a way that feels satisfying, but also doesn't. Um, uh, doesn't seem to contradict the things that we felt it was saying throughout. And this is how Mm -hmm. this is it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Cool. All right. So, so that's the, the end of the book, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I like here's 
I know we're running long, but <laughs> bear with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> the one thing I think we still have left to do is Victoria, right? Like we we've the climax of the book happened away from Victoria and we talked about the very good reasons why that happened. But we have to go back to Victoria because Victoria still wasn't sure she could trust humanity. Yeah. And and I, I remember like, I don't know if you remember this because I don't know if I talked about it because I wasn't sure how to parse it. But there's this this part when Victoria is talking to Chris and she says, like, fine, build up your walls, build up your walls all, all around yourself to keep you safe. Make it so high that nobody can ever get into there. But you have to love yourself. You have to accept yourself. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But also, Victoria, you you've been talking about reaching out. You've been talking about the importance of other people, the importance of community, the importance of cooperation. So like that didn't set entirely right with me at the time. And so I think what Victoria has to do is Victoria has to wake up and realize that humanity saved her Mm -hmm. and saved them all. And I think that is the final moments of Victoria's journey Mm -hmm. is she wanted the world to be a, a certain way. She hoped it was that way she believed it was that way enough to put everything on it and we need to have the moment where she gets up and sees that she was right and this i think is the last little step of victoria of moving from a person who wants to believe these things to a person that genuinely believes them um yeah and that's what we have to do next I, I genuinely really want to see that moment yes for sure yeah. or, or or the aftermath of it i want to see her grapple with this idea um mm-hmm. because I, I agree that i'm 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 I, I if if that was it if that was the last we see for inside victoria's head then there are there are things left hanging for me yeah. um so yeah so i i think that's i think we're going to get at least one chapter doing that um maybe two more that's what i think we're going to get so cool. and then an epilogue of who knows how long an yeah. epilogue the uh the vista's birthday epilogue is what i think it's going to be i hope so i hope so I, I agree. Right. I, I will share. I will share in that prediction. Cool. Let's uh, let's move on to the discussion question on this incredibly long episode of this podcast. Yes. Yes. All right. Is a heroic sacrifice good or bad? Why? Rid Tom asks, well, what are you dying for or who are you fighting Leviathan? Are you fighting cancer? They say uh, beyond just the desire to live. What if it's to prove something that others always thought about you wrong or maybe because uh, seeing you give in could have ramifications for your family who's broken by your actions or lack or, or lack of them. It all depends on what the sacrifice is for. And that's actually a sentiment that we see in a few answers. Uh, this idea of like, well, it really, it really does depend. And of mm-hmm. course, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Woo. 256 BWU 256 says they side with tattletale largely because our daily in our daily lives. We don't often hear about traditionally heroically sacrificial deaths. Mostly we just witness people dying of accident or illness. It means our instincts for this kind of thing are not based on experience. We're also taught that our own personal safety always comes first, which makes it difficult to override that impulse when learning swift water rescue, jumping into the water to swim to a victim and thus putting yourself in danger was always the last resort when there was no other option. And I think inherent in that protocol is the idea that heroic sacrifice is never certain to work. From a utilitarian perspective, one death is preferable to two, but from the perspective of the people left behind, it's hard to say heroic sacrifice is always good. I like that. 
yeah, I like this idea of of how in, in real life we we don't we don't really lionize uh, uh, we we we're very risk averse in real life actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh yeah. Uh, Alamancer gives us a very heartfelt post about their own struggles with suicidal ideation and how for them their own suicidal impulses became bound up with the glorification of of fictional portrayals of heroic sacrifice in stories. They talk about the distinction between fictional examples where characters sacrifice themselves for a noble goal, either by going into dangerous situations where death is likely, um, versus dying directly by their own hand in some situations. Mm -hmm. And they say, Wild Bo has absolutely ruined heroic sacrifices for me by opening my eyes to how they can glorify suicide, even when presented well. Yeah. Um, it was really, really interesting. And like I said, heartfelt post uh, worth a read, I would say, actually. Yeah. And um, I, I really actually kind of had, had to ponder on it afterward. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alamancer, for sharing something so in incredibly personal and, and important to you. I we really appreciate that. Um, I, I love like we asked this question about heroic sacrifice before we knew the full scope of it. Right. And and obviously it it became not heroic sacrifice really um it became something else and i and i think i think the, the way that lands with me is that the book isn't necessarily saying that heroic sacrifice is a good thing um and and i like that i like that it's complicated yeah. even even in the full scope of it yeah i mean I, I agree with you that in the final analysis it's not really heroic sacrifice anymore but no, it, it's close yeah. enough to it that it's not like the discussion question was off target Sure, sure. All right. Next up, we have Sarah Penguin who asks, how are we defining good? Good for who? Their first thought was of Swan Song and thus, no, heroic sacrifice is bad. The fact that Swan Song died to save people doesn't stop Kenzie from feeling, aban from feeling abandoned. And we can only imagine how much great stuff she could have done if she were still around. You could say that sacrifices are necessary sometimes, but just because something is necessary doesn't mean that it is good. I like that. Yeah, I, I like that distinction quite a lot as as well, um, because even if a heroic sacrifice saves a million people, it was still a tragic loss of life, even if the utilitarian calculus comes out, you know, yeah. positive. It's like the end of Independence Day where the guy flies into the spaceship. Yeah. And spo spoilers for Independence Day, I guess. And God. like everyone's cheering in the control room, <laughs> except for the son of the man who's just died. Uh -huh. And then there's this wonderful Hollywood moment where someone walks up to him and says, your yeah. father's a hero. Yeah, pat him on the shoulder. Yeah. You should feel proud. And he's like, I am. Yeah, I do. I am. Yeah. Yeah, your dad just fucking died, though. Yeah. Like, your dad he's, is he's dead, dead now. You're never going to see him again. Yeah. Like, I know it's like he's redeemed in your eyes, but also you'd be like super fucking sad. Yeah. Because your dad's dead. Yes, exactly. Ah, such a great movie. Um, <laughs> Prank1618 says, sacrifice that is good for the community is usually good. For the most part, people are too selfish, not too generous. On the other hand, I would not want to live in a society where I was expected to make heroic sacrifices whenever possible. Mm -hmm. They also say heroic sacrifice is often much more ambiguous than it's portrayed in media. Putting the oxygen mask on yourself before helping others is not heroic, but pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, joining the military has questionable net benefit. So, so those are just meant to be examples of like things in real life where we're sort of told different things are, are heroic or not heroic. And it's like, well, people have agendas sometimes. Yeah. And um, I think to some people's points, like the, the only really exposure we have to heroic sacrifices are in media for the most part. Mm -hmm. We just don't see them in our day to day life. And in media, those situations are perfectly contrived 
in which there is no question. Like, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but like the the underwater boat movies where like the boat is sinking and you have to someone has to like go release the switch. But <laughs> uh-huh. it's at the end of a long hallway it's and there's flooded, just yeah. no way there's just no way anyone could hold their breath long enough to get there and back. And so like this is a perfectly contrived situation in which there is zero doubt that someone will have to sacrifice themselves to save everyone else. Yeah. And those situations just don't happen in life. Yeah. Right. Like we, they just don't. Yeah. We established that the infinity stones will kill any mortal who tries to use them yeah. multiple <laughs> times. And yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are we on this one? I think. Yeah. That, yep. Zoltron 123 talks about the question from the position of utilitarian ethics and deviations from it. Trolley problems are one thing, but trolley problems involve people we care about are a different thing entirely. Regardless, Vicky seems to have made a choice equivalent to two loved ones on one track, 10 strangers on the other. That is true. Yeah, I like that point. I mean, this is something that we've touched on obliquely many times that that trolley problems are all well and good to talk about in isolation, but like real life just never never cleaves that way no and and this is one of those situations where like it's sort of a it's sort of it's sort of tempting to see it as a trolley problem but each individual cape has to lay the the lives of themselves and their loved ones on the tracks so yeah yeah definitely and then trust other people to turn the right switch yep yeah uh beard of valor says heroes deserve nice things so they shouldn't sacrifice yeah that's like uh the stranger than fiction quote that i talked about on my live read last week yeah true like if someone is willing to sacrifice themselves, isn't the exact type of person you want to keep alive. Right. Yep. All right. Next up, we have penitent edgelord who feels that heroic sacrifice is often less interesting than exploring potentially better alternatives. For instance, would that character's arc have been more interesting if rather than atoning through self-sacrifice, they instead had to live with things they've done nine times out of 10. I find the answer is yes. They find it to be basically an overused trope. Yeah. It's funny because they, they didn't answer the question is, is actual heroic sacrifice good or bad? They answered the question, is the trope of heroic sacrifice good or bad? Which is a fine interpretation of that question. Sure. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it is a very, very commonly used trope and not used that well all that often. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think in stories we have we really do have a problem with like piece of shit people that get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we just don't know what to do with them in stories because like what are they going to do? Just like go home at the end of it and just like live in a house. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so like it, it is so much easier in stories to just say, Oh, well that person dies uh, redeeming themselves. And then we've solved the problem of how does that person reintegrate themselves into society after it? Well, they don't because they, they redeem themselves via death. Right. Um, and then we don't have to worry about it before anymore. Yeah. The redemption happened entirely in the minds of the survivors. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the cool noob reminds us of John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. They say under under some circumstances uh, it can be wrong to glorify sacrifice, such as when governments try to glorify military service for cynical ends. Uh, it, it can become not true heroic sacrifice, but a suicide cult in in cases like that. A sacrifice is something that a person does not want to do by definition. Even Jesus didn't want to be crucified. To give oneself to those in the, sorry, yeah, they say to give oneself to those who are in need, who would have no chance otherwise. That is what lies at the heart of what it means to be a hero. I just like that quote that they they said. It was a good good thing. Yeah, yes, I, I like that a lot, and I think a lot of my feelings on this is informed by the fact that I was raised Catholic, and a lot of 
how I viewed the world was defined by Christianity, which is a, um, I think is very up on the heroically sacrificing yourself game. Uh-huh. I mean, that's literally the cornerstone of the religion is Jesus sacrificing himself for the sake of everyone else. So I think that explains why our culture, our like very Western Christian influence culture has this general positive view on, on the idea of heroic sacrifice. Mm. So I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, um, me too. And, and I really like the point this a sacrifice by definition is something that someone doesn't want to do. I think is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I ate all the pretzels <laughs> says heroic sacrifice has its place. And Victoria made the right choice. The problem comes when heroic sacrifice is invoked when other options remain. For example, Kenzie being always willing to work herself to the bone for trivial projects. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, that has to do with what Natalie talked about earlier in the book too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that absolutely what Natalie talked about. And ironically, Kenzie was in that scene too, where Kenzie's this person who's always willing to put herself last mm-hmm. <laughs> and in, in ways where it's not even really necessary. Um, she's making like, uh, things, she's making little pins that make everyone's costumes look cooler. And you're like in this, in this moment, Kenzie, maybe you should have slept, <laughs> but the pens are, pins are really, really cool. Though, yeah. Matt, yeah. So. That's true. That's true. Placid Platypus points out that this isn't really a sacrifice because it's not like they could live in either case. Uh, the cost is basically nothing. They, they, they quote, uh, they say, Tattletail's objections while moving on the surface rang extremely hollow to me because all the terrible things she objects to are going to happen whether Victoria enacts her plan or not. They go on to say that volunteering for certain death feels very different from volunteering for extremely dangerous risk, but this might just be because it's easier to lie to yourself about the risk. I like that. I like that framing a lot because like when you tell someone there's a 60% chance you'll die of this, I think it's very natural for human beings to just go, well, I'm definitely the 40. Yeah. Like, I like I'm those odds. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So like, yeah, that's a good framing. Mm-hmm. That's a, I like that. Good answer. Uh, Lost man one three eight says, let's face the only reason we are having this discussion. It's because the system has failed again. <laughs> So let's not think of this as sacrifice, but a consequence due to the wardens failing to deal with anti-parahumans in effective measure and not finding a way to fix the shard network. So now sacrifices have to be made or else a lot more people are going to die. Nothing topical at all about that answer. <laughs> God, there's so much of this that echoes the same stuff we're going through right now, right? Like, the, Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's intentional. I'm not saying it's allegorical, but I am reading this book, finding a lot of parallels. Yeah, I mean, just just for posterity, we should say that the the COVID nineteen thing has happened so recently that it's really unlikely that really really unlikely uh, that Wildbo planned this from the beginning. Um, yes, like um, almost impossible. Yeah, but but it is interesting to see how many of these commenters in, in their longer comments made reference to the current fiasco and the stories of people sort of volunteering themselves for, for sacrificial roles, be, be they the healthcare providers, be they elderly people who um, elected to not go on a ventilator so that someone more likely to survive could use the ventilator and, and yeah. other, other really tragic things like this, which really, I mean, th- that, that was one of the things it's like a slap in the face where you're like, well, that's just sad. Like that's just purely sad. I, I, I mean, yes, that person is a hero, but I don't feel anything good about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think to Lost Man's point, like when that becomes necessary, the system has failed 100 percent like that should not be necessary. No old person should have to make that choice. Um, that's absurd. Um, yeah. And and so 
I, I love the idea of framing it as a consequence of previous failure rather than heroically doing something. If everything was working the way it should be, no one would have to make these choices. Um, True. But but now we're existing as a consequence of those previous failures. Um, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's what, that's what, like we're suffering a global trauma right now. Like yeah. every one of us is going through this global terrifying event that we have no idea when it's going to end, how many people we're going to lose. What are the long-term consequences of this thing going to be? And we're all being asked to make sacrifices right now for the greater good. All of us. It's not mm-hmm. death, uh, hopefully for, for most of us, but that is what we're living in right now. So I, I think it's absolutely fitting that that is reflected in what people are thinking about when they answer these questions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so next week's discussion question is what's your favorite example of a story that didn't end up being about what you thought it would be about? That is a good question, Matt. I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I'll have to think about that one. I feel like a lot of stories, qual- I feel like a lot of my favorite stories sort of fit this bill. So Yeah. Totally. totally. All right. Is it time for some March Madness final four results and championship round picks? Oh, it is. It is. Let's do it. Um, So first for the results, the final four, I already kind of spoiled it and told you the winners at the beginning of the podcast, but that's okay. We'll talk about some details here. So in our first matchup, Matt, we had uh, Victoria Dallin versus Rain O'Fire Frazier. Um, Uh Rain, who I put as our number one seed, lost uh-huh. but it was <laughs> close yeah it was 55 to 45 percent in uh the direction of victoria here's some of the comments we got uh chase says this is a mantras choice i'll vote rain but i'm not happy about it <laughs> uh, uh, i love it juby Doo says oh man <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great Green Eggs and Sam says, I hate to rain on her parade, but my boy is on the precipice of total victory and Victoria never had what it took to be a star. She can't handle all that glory. So that's a lot of puns, but I'm sorry, Green Eggs and Sam. Um, Rain, rain lost. People really brought the comments game, though. (laughs) Ponage Hobo says, when I'm faced with a tough decision like this, I always might ask myself, what would Chicken Little do? Precipice is a total badass. (laughs) Uh, well, you know, it's nice to see Rain do, do so well. I don't think either of us voted for him last week, but I, I'm I'm glad it was close. Let me put it that way. Me too. Me too. Next up, we have Shipmates, who uh, this this saw Lisa Wilborn versus Ashley Stillens and another very, very close matchup, Matt. How, mm-hmm. how close was it? It was it was uh, 57 to 43 in favor of Lisa. Yeah. Ashley lost. Can you believe that? I no, No, I can't. I, I just can't accept it. I'm pretty sure we voted. We voted for Ashley, right? We did. We did. Uh, yeah. Well, two close matches. One of them went the right way and one of them went the wrong way. Uh, yeah. So we have a comment here from Timid Berserker that says there's only one word to describe Swan Song's path through the bracket. Ascension. Oh, <laughs> except we have now it's except the, now the ladder was on fire and, yeah. you know, you, there's only one way that ends. Yeah. We have Fairlax who says, thanks. I hate this. <laughs> Um, most of these comments are swan song positive. So it seems like most of the commenters voted for Ashley, Uh but most of the voters voted for Lisa. Uh, we have one from Jordy here who says, if it weren't for the latest chapters, I would have gone with swan song, but holy shit, Lisa's back and forth with Victoria in the hospital was so good. I know recency violence is most definitely a thing here, but damn it. This is an opinion based poll. I'm allowed to be biased. You, (laughs) 
you absolutely are. Yeah. And Jordy, you helped propel Lisa to the finals. So that's where we're at now, Matt. We are on the championship round versus uh, it's it's Victoria Dallin and Lisa Wilborn. What are you going to do, Matt? Um, what are you going to do? I, 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 I mean, I'm going for Victoria. I, I am, too. Yeah. I am, too. Um, how I, can I not? How can I not? Right. It's it, Victoria. Yeah. It's it's like at this point, they're, they're two great characters. What do you even say? Like, they're, yeah. they're, both, they're both awesome. Um, Victoria sure. has really, you know, no matter how you felt about her at the start of the story, like, like really? Glory Girl? Mm-hmm. Um, she's become one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah, totally. Love it. Victoria, sorry. Sorry, Lisa. You... First of all, you made it into the championship round last year, Lisa. So that's a little selfish of you. Um, also, you're more of a warm character. So get out of here, Tattletail. Yeah, that's that's I, right. I, I love you so much, but you don't deserve to win a ward poll. Yeah, there you go. So we, we do have one more matchup, though, Matt. We have our third place matchup, Rain versus Ashley. This is actually tougher for me than, <laughs> than the championship round. Sure, absolutely. Um, and it matters less. And yet... I don't know who to vote for. It's great because I mean, they both fit a lot of, they both check a lot of the same boxes for me. Um, they're, they had great like multi interlude long arc focus, focus on each of them specifically. Mm-hmm. They both had great redemption arc starting from a place where you were almost like, I don't really see myself coming around on this person. They, they're just kind of like, like the thing, the things they did seem so bad. And then eventually you come around on them and they really earn it. Um, I, I, it's a very, it's very close for me. I, I think even from the moment I saw this matchup, I knew I was going to vote for Ashley, honestly, but it's I, like, I feel slightly bad doing so. So, okay. So you're voting Ashley. Yes. Well, consider your vote canceled. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm voting for rain. Well, I love Ashley. I do nothing against Ashley. This is not about saying no to Ashley. It's about <laughs> saying yes to rain. And that's what I, that's what I have to do here. <laughs> it's not about, it's not about killing what we hate. It's, it's about, about saving, saving what, we, what love. we love. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's it. We will find out the results of March's Madness 2 next week. Yeah. What an exciting event. I'm glad. I, I love that we do this. I have so much fun with it. I hope you guys out there have fun with it. It seems like you do because the the vote totals we've got have been consistently higher than they have been in the past. Um, I'm glad you guys are enjoying this. I certainly am. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or at, on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. That is also where I will continue to do our live reads of each and every chapter, at least for the six or seven chapters that remain of this book. Gosh, could it be that few? It might be. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at existential dread because we've been doing this show for two and a half years and it's about to come to an end. Holy shit. I don't think we can take this. I'm surprised that was within the character limit, Matt. Yeah. You know, I am. Um, I'm a hacker. What can I say? Ah, okay. Um, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got War, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And you can always find this and all of our other podcasts over at our website, doofmedia.com. Uh, that's where you can find Kingslingers, 
We haven't talked about Kingslingers in a bit, have we? Or did we do this last week? We got to write these down, Matt. We do need to write these down. But Kingslingers is our new podcast where uh, Scott guides me, me being the new reader, through The Dark Tower by Stephen King, which, you know, Scott's been telling me this was a good book for a while. It, it kind of it, it reminds me very much of how I try to get him to read Ward, uh, Worm. And I was like, look, it's, it's just really good. Like, I don't know what, like, it's, it's one of my favorite things. What else do I need to say to you other than it's one of my favorite things? And, um, and then of course I was right. And in this case, Scott is the <laughs> one who is right because this book is amazing. Yeah. And we're halfway through book three of the series at this point. We are. Um, and it's going well. I'm enjoying it. I'm um, enjoying it a lot. And I'm angry every week when I have to stop reading. Yeah. So this is Scott's revenge on me. If, if you look at it this way, Doof Media is really just an extended project enforcing each other to to consume the media that we want um, the other person to consume. Exactly. With that in mind, now announcing our Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. Uh, I mean, I almost feel like that's inevitable, even though I'm going to, you know, not no, it's, I mean, make it's that like easy 100, for you. A hundred million percent going to happen, but not anytime soon. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. All right, Scott. I'll, I'll, <laughs> um Anyway, if you like any of our shows, this one, Kingslingers, Deep Impact, Do the Right Thing, so on and so forth. Oh, yes. The Harry Potter one. <laughs> the Harry Potter one. Man, you're doing great. I'm There's, sure there, I'm sure our friends that we our, want more love to be our, called the Harry our, Potter our, our one. Dear fr- our dear friends. <laughs> Look, we got too many shows now. Yes. Um <laughs> If you want to support any of these shows, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon really helps us out. And of course, it gives you a lot of cool bonuses. For $5 a month, um, you can uh, vote in our quarterly fan art and costume contests. And you can get access to special things. Wow. This is, uh, guys, the script is all foobard here it's not it's not any of our faults this one it's, it's just a mess it's just a mess five dollars gives you access to our doof and chill session a uh, twenty dollar donation allows you to force us to watch a movie or read a short story of your choice um which we do two a month of that so that's whenever whenever we publish a show on anime um that's what that is <laughs> basically entirely uh-huh uh, true and there's other tons of fun stuff in there so head on over to do me or patreon.com slash do media and learn more about all of that yeah uh, and of course while you're on patreon head on to patreon.com slash wildbo donate to him as well because this is his world and we are just playing in it yeah we have a lot of shows but he has one book that's been going on for t- two and a half years and he's never missed the date ever mm-hmm. ever it's amazing honestly it it's, it's inspiring staggering yeah, yeah. All right, and this week, special thanks to new patrons, Bidoofs, Ziggy, Andrew M., Griffin T., Dan V., Georgia D., Nathan R., NAO, or now, Thunderfulness, uh, new Doof Dancers, Jade T., and Richard R., and new Doof Troopers, Jessa R., and Susan S. Welcome. Hope to see you all around the Discord. So glad to have you, and thank you so much. Yeah, this is what happens, Matt, when you forget to pull names for last week's episode and you have to do two weeks. Um, But still, that's an incredible amount of people. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, You are making this whole thing possible. Um, And 
we're coming to the end of the story and the show, but uh, it, it means so much of this to us that you're continuing to support us and hopefully will continue to support us as we move on from Ward into new, different, fun things. Yeah. Um, well. And of course, if you can't afford to donate, there's a there's a pandemic happening. There's a financial crisis happening. There's lots of stuff happening right now. Um, and we would totally understand if people are worried about their their finances right now that they don't feel like they can squeeze a donation out. That is absolutely okay. You can still help us out non-monetarily by sharing the show, sharing our network. Uh, I think Ward is at the point and we've got Ward is at the point where you probably already beaten your friends over the head with one or the other uh, by this point. But if you like what we do, if you like us, if you like Elliot and Matthias and Jarvis and Steven and Ruben and Brian and Ruben. Oh, my God. I left Ruben out. He's going to be so mad. Um <laughs> Share their shows, share our network, share our website. We do tons of cool stuff. And uh, please, please share it with your friends. Um, that really helps us too. Yeah. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for those of you who do do that because um, yes, we love to get those. That is, yeah. Every new person we get is means the absolute world to us. And we know you guys are responsible for almost all of that. So thank you so yeah. much. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Next week, the end. <laughs> <laughs>